Send him to the fire. Run. Run! Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-Earth strategy battle game podcast. First of all, to tell you that I'm immensely fond of you all, and that 11 years is too short a time to live amongst such excellent and admirable hobbits. Fantastic quote. Fantastic quote. Um, so, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, all good, all good, all good. Uh, we're nearly at Christmas now, which is uh, obviously... The December sode we're on now. <laughs> yeah, we were gonna we were gonna do a we, should we delve behind the curtain here? We were gonna do a couple of a couple of shows, weren't we? We had a, a couple of things planned. We were gonna plan some sort of a multiple shorter shows and then just the usual life caught up with mainly with me, I with kids and, and all the things that happen around this time of year, but just being busy in general. And we thought, well, we'll just why don't we just do a big, big show? And we don't I'm saying that, not actually knowing how big it's going to be yet, but it might actually not be any bigger than the rest. But we'll see. We'll we'll we'll, we'll hope it's a little bit larger. So, with that <laughs> rambling in mind, um, do, do you want to tell us what we got coming up in the show? Absolutely. So, first of all, we've got our many meetings where we're going to have a bit of a discussion of what's been going on, any new releases, anything that's been going on in the community, anything that's been going on in the world of Middle Earth in general. Uh, have a bit of a chat about what we've been up to. And then also, given it's 20 years since uh, the Lord of the Rings movies and indeed our game has originally released, we'll have a bit of a chat about that. Then we've got a section of the Council of Elrond talking about two of the scenarios from the Fall of the Necromancer uh, sourcebook. We're not doing a death match this time because, frankly, we've done lots anyway and we haven't got time for it. So I do apologise to everyone ahead of time. Uh, then we'll close out, including the winner of the Witch King competition. The answer may surprise you. Fantastic. So a real jam-packed show. We've got we saw two scenario reviews, which we've pre-recorded. Um, we did that last week um, and squeezed two in. We were going to split it over two shows. Um, and just so we could have a bit more of a relaxed, closer to Christmas um, session. And, and we're, I think we're both having drinks. Are you drinking tonight? We are indeed. Fantastic. Yes, yes. Uh, so you may hear the... Uh, you know, a bit of glass clinking uh, throughout the uh, podcast. I'm sure uh, anyone who's seen a Battle Streams in Middle Earth um, thread stream um, stream thread will will know what your desk probably looks like at the moment. All very very neat with a uh, probably with a uh, with a very large measure of whiskey. Would that be on the port tonight? Actually, port. It's, 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 yeah. it's Christmas. Why not? <laughs> I've I've just got ale. I uh, sent Emma, Emma out to the shop today. She's got a, 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 an unusual midweek day off, and um, I said, "Forget, can you get me some get me some booze? Because I drank all the booze at the weekend. Get me some booze for tonight." So it's, it's a Tuesday, by the way, people. Um, and um, she um, and she came back with ale, so I can't complain too much. It wouldn't wouldn't be what I would have chosen actually, but well, it'll it'll stop me from getting pissed anyway. Right, anyway, we'll have a very short break, and we'll come back with many meetings. Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire. Visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs. We stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK. Market leading gaming mats from gamemats.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. 
Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. And we're back. And uh, here for many meetings, let's start with the news, which tends to be a bit of a new tradition now, starting with the news. So have we had any news, Dan? Um, not particularly <laughs> other than um, what was announced at the seminar at uh, Not Throne of Skulls. Uh, yes. Not the weekend, just gone the weekend before. So um, uh, Jay, Claire and uh, Robert Alderman, and I do believe Dan Whistle was there as well, um, decided to share some uh, bits and pieces they Obviously, they knew, but also they wanted us to know about the um, Defence of the North. Yep, yep. Uh, as well as uh, showcasing the new Razgush and Musgur miniatures, uh, which were available on the Sunday. And uh, I've managed to blag some, uh, thanks to uh, Carl Daly and Sophie Wilkinson. They've both uh, been able to sort me out with that. I was a very welcome surprise last week. So cheers again for you both. Yeah, lovely miniatures they are as well. They're absolutely stunning. I'd forgotten all about that. I knew that the seminar was happening. And I'd forgotten all about it, and I can't remember. So it was a Saturday night. I was doing something that day, and I can't remember what it was. Um, and uh, I can then the, the obviously the blog posts start to come up, don't they? That sort of show you on Warhammer community, sort of giving you the information that they've talked about. So there's a little bit of a deeper delve, weren't they, into the into the to the defence of the North book, and then pictures of the models and people, and then on Sunday people with models in hand, and I thought, oh yeah, they forgot they do that throne or throne not throne or whatever it was called this year. What's it called? What was the event called? Oh, uh, I want to block, uh, battles in Middle Earth or something. Yeah, that that rings a bell. There's a lot. There's but, a lot of variations on that. In, in, <laughs> it can get a little yeah. bit confusing. But um, yeah, absolutely. But it looks. It looks. Sounded like a good event, and it was nice to have a little bit more info on that book. No idea from that. I don't think they, they hinted, did they, about when that might come out? So we're all no. Um, they they showed the cover though uh, for mm-hmm. the new Defender North book, which was very much a sort of a generic mock-up of middle earth as you know the normal format of uh, how they make the books look with a big question mark in the middle i think it had uh, the last time they spoke about it when they previewed the cover for fall of the necromancer yes but it's got, it's got um a dane on the front i do believe yes a lovely it's a lovely uh, cover i wonder if they didn't mm. show it before because they didn't want to detract from the other book which was which we're obviously covering today a little bit um, I imagine yeah. that because of, I'm guessing, I think it's probably a fairly safe bear that COVID has played some, uh, played some messings with the with the, with the release schedule and things, and they they probably never ever planned to be in a stage where they could almost announce two books a few months ago without having one out. So I imagine there's been a little bit of a change in in release dates and things, but it feels like we're kind of a bit more back on normal track now, where we know what the next book is, but we don't know when it's coming out, rather than we know what the next two books are and we don't know what the cover is on one of them, etc. We feels like things are normalising a little bit, which is nice. This is nice. Yeah, uh, they they did cover some sort of bits and pieces, little tidbits. So um, there's new profiles for the heroes and villains that fought and for the fate of the North. Um, that includes obviously um, Razgush and uh, uh, Musga. Um, and we haven't had any other uh, talk of new characters, although um, there's been an interesting silhouette, I believe, put up, um, and it's referred to the Dragon Emperor a few times, so it wouldn't probably too much of a stretch to assume <laughs> that is what that is. It makes sense, uh, doesn't it? The, the silhouette looks yeah. a bit of a giveaway, really, so that's... Um, that's Large uh, palaquin-esque uh, yes, sort yes. of item. Um, 22 narrative play scenarios, which is amazing. It's going to keep us well-fed for pro- uh, content for 2022, I think. Absolutely. Um, 
and then six legendary legions, um, which is which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, there's uh, that got previewed um, on the Saturday evening. Unfortunately, neither of us were there. I, I'd actually popped down on the Saturday to say hello to a few people and to do a Christmas exchanging of gifts with Sophie, uh-huh. um, and a cheeky visit to Reds because you know when in Nottingham you've got to go <laughs> and have barbecue food. Uh, so I bumped into a few people, including uh, Damien in his very fetching tree outfit with like a really awesome uh, plush Merriam Pippin on his shoulder, which um, <laughs> which Emma, as far as I understand it, had modified two other sort of plush dolls to to, to suit and uh, made oh, really? sort of their costumes, which is which is fantastic. She's many a lady of many talents. Is, I didn't uh, know that. Damien's wife. No, I didn't. So, know that. I saw uh, the pictures, but I didn't know that. I guess you'd made the the costume, and I think you mentioned it a little bit on his. Uh, he's done a vlog today. It's gone out on the Battle Streams channel. I watched that today. Um, I watched that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, losing track yet of time, to, but I will. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's uh, it, 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 yeah, it looks like a great event. His costume looks fantastic. So, uh, um, yeah, and. Uh, Steve Crow was there as well, um, so it was good to see him. Um, obviously, I saw them both at the uh, Battle Streams meetup, but it was good to catch them both again. Um, I bumped into a number of the uh, Middle Earth personalities there, which was really nice. It's good to just go out and meet people and see people. Um, obviously, Jay, uh, Jay Clare was on, on hand, and uh, Dan Whistle was there as well, and, and Rob uh, Alderman. So, yeah, it's just really nice to... This time of year, with everything that's going on, especially now in the last week or so, that doing that first, being able to say hello to people in a way that, uh, you know, uh, in the last couple of years hasn't always been possible, was really, really, really nice. So it looked like a fantastic event. Everyone seemed to have fun. Uh, Damon uh, came second, I do believe, overall. Uh, was it Calman who won? I think originally? so, yeah. I think Calman yeah, yeah. won. Damon came second. I don't know who came third. Yeah. I did see the no. spreadsheet when it went up, and then I forgot about it. And then, see, watching Damon's video, he mentioned that he came second. He did say in the video who came third, but I completely forgotten. Um, I, I didn't even look at the spreadsheet, I'll confess. it's. I just look at the, the, the pretty armies, and there were some really lovely armies there. There was um, two Candish armies there, which is... As I understand it, not particularly a usual thing to have more than one, and there was particularly one that was painted as sort of a, a teal color. That was it was uh, a really okay. pretty army, really nice army. There was some there was some great stuff there. It was always really nice to see a good showcase of what the hobby's all about. Yeah, absolutely, you know, of- absolutely. I think um, I think Damien and, and Calman had the same points. It went down to sort of the same everything, but it went back to count back and the one loss they both had and who had. A bigger loss. I think Damien had a, a a worse loss than Carmen. I think that's how he counted back. And that's how close it was at the top. Wowzers! Um, that's so really, really, that's... really good. Um, and um, I think got some different awards this year. I think Damien was saying that they had you get to vote for two best um, army awards this time, rather than just pick your best army, which is the same as when you pick your best games and things. Which I think is really nice. I think that's different from the year before when I went I think it is and there was a best there was a judged best army as well this time as well which is quite nice and I think that was Tom from Planet Mithril I think that's Planet Mithril I think is his Instagram I think he won that I'm trying to remember the name of the person who won the um, the best painted army or the best army for peer judge and I can't remember who it was and again apologies they probably don't listen anyway but uh 
Um, again, it's sort of going on from secondhand information because I don't think they've. Um, I've not seen an announcement post yet, and I know there will be one at some point. Generally, comes out from the Warhammer World Facebook page, doesn't it? Um, but I've not seen an announcement thing yet. But um, it looked like looked great anyway. Um, made me maybe jealous that I wasn't there, even though I, you know, I mean, we've heard my reasons for not trying to get a ticket. God knows whether I managed to get one anyway. Seems like they were a little bit hot property. Um, I'm really, really hoping that next December back up to full numbers and called Throne of Skulls again. Um, not that that really matters, I suppose, if it's if it's back up to full numbers and everything else about the event is Throne of Skulls. Uh, I suppose it doesn't matter what the what the title is. But um, I'm really... It definitely reminded me how much I loved it. And, um, and my plans... I don't know about yours, Dan, but my plans will, will be the same. I, I will I will do that end board, and I will do that that, that Fangorn army, and that's still going to be that's going to be my plan for next December. So it's the plans are still there; they just put were put on pause. Yeah, I don't know what it'll be for me because it was going to be Azog's Legion, uh, and but I'm going to get them ready for scouring in March, which I'm booked in on hotels booked and everything. Mm. So fingers crossed that uh, all that still goes ahead. The world is the way it is at the moment. I couldn't, but, do, uh, I couldn't do scouring and gut it. I'm going to be. It seems like the, it's going to be an ongoing thing at the moment. Every time that there's lots more events on, and I can't make them. Up, but it's just a busy month. I've got my uh, my youngest's birthday, and I think it's. Well, I've said before, when my, when my wife works, she works most Saturdays, tends to have one off a month. So if we have a weekend off for someone's birthday, that's it. I don't. I can't get another weekend off in the month. And then, uh, yeah, it just looks looks busy around that time. I'm supposed to be going to um, Florida at the end of, over Easter as well next year. God knows what's going to happen with the world, the way things are at the moment. But that messes up a couple of other things potentially as well, a couple of other potential events I'd like to go to, including going to Salute as well, because I think it's back to normal yeah. in April. So there's, I can't really complain because it's, it's going to Florida. It'd be amazing if I go, but it does mean that it kind of, just messes up the whole of the beginning of the year so my my event calendar will be post flotsman jetsam i think well we run that and i've obviously we'll that. obviously got that to come i'll do scouring in march um mm. i'm hoping to get to um seven stones in may that's uh i'm, I'm that i'd love to really really love to it's the and it's, it's not a no but it's the three-day it's Bank my birthday weekend, That's so I'm going to see if I can actually do it. Bank holiday uh, means schools closed, means nurseries closed, means wife generally working, and uh, leaves two kids without someone looking after them if I'm not there. <laughs> so, causes a problem. But um, unless I do some kind of theme and I bring two hobbits with me, I'm not really sure that's going to work so well at the pub at night. Fill them full of cow pole and have it after, <laughs> you know, if the shellobs had away with them. <laughs> It'd be fine. Yeah, so I mean, if you can get to, I mean, seven state, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Obviously, I'm going to uh, attempt to do um, one world doubles at some point if they if they're going to do that because uh, it's supposed to be amazing. And I'm definitely going to get up to Sterling because uh, go see Mister Murphy and because uh, he's uh, tempted me with the Scottish Malt Whiskey Society. Uh, apparently, we can uh, oh. do do an event and then uh, get get drunk oh, in there. Oh, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, he was in there very recently, and I just got a picture came through. It's like, look at this. I'm in the Scottish Malt Whiskey Society, and we don't swear on this podcast, so I can't. <laughs> I was like, oh, just a, such, such FOMO. Such FOMO. Um, yeah, so um, what have you been up to hobby-wise, Stu? Uh It's like the broken record here. I have reasons for it this time, but uh, I, I have started to build my... Um, 
my 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 vanquishers but um that's it i haven't painted them as yet i still have some hope that i can get them painted before the end of the year to tick those boxes but it's not it's not a definite i won't go on too much about why i haven't but i will explain a little bit so i've um because it's not really middle earth related but um warlord games are releasing a new game in january um, to do with some some, some Napoleonics in a, in a smaller scale, and uh, and I do a lot of stuff for that scale on my YouTube channel, Miniature Realms, and they very very kindly have given me advanced stock, um, so preview stock. Um, so I've done lots of videos on that and painting tutorials and things. So it's been a fantastic opportunity to kind of have some stuff well ahead of time because I don't think it's out till the end of January now. So I had stuff at the end of. Um, or some middle of November time, so I've had stuff for a long time, so it's a real kind of bit of a boon to uh, have this stock and do videos and do reviews and do painted tutorials and stuff. So great for the YouTube channel, really kind of them to do it, um, but it kind of tread on my um, other hobby and, and everything else, to be honest with you. I've not done any of my other systems that I do on my channel. I've not done much Middle Earth because of it, um, but it's one of those things that would be uh, silly not to take the opportunity to have some pre-release review stock when you when you're offered it so that's why oh, i haven't so yeah so people and who, it looks uh, awesome too you've been doing a really good job of that i don't think we should gloss over that at oh, all. thank you thank you thank you it's you, been well received but i don't want to awesome. as i said i don't want to talk about it too much i just want to explain why um and it's not because i love that anymore the middle earth i love it very very much um, but i love middle earth as well but it's just that I, i've only got so much spare time and uh um, producing, no, I, using, using it to to my advantage, into my channel's advantage in some ways, but just also repaying the favour that they've given me the stuff um, and and producing videos and content, which obviously supports them, but um, they're not paying me to do it. But uh, I'm showing that I do like their products at the same time, and uh, that's the first time I've been given stuff, so I want to make sure that I, yeah, you know, respect them with it as well, and not just take them all and go thanks and keep it to myself. I wanted to do sort of do my end of the bargain and, and get the videos out there. But anyway, that's why it's that's why it's not happened really. It's just my all my own hobby time has gone into something that I just didn't foresee happening. I thought I had no, until but- the end of Jan before that stuff released. So and it just kind of dropped on my desk and um it's everything else got pushed aside but it's it helps support my other channel and my business and things so it's important from that side of things as well as much as i've enjoyed doing it but i i still do i'm not you know it's not um it's not definite i, I won't get them done i still plan on trying to get uh, those those miniatures finished before the end of the the year it's not impossible it's just tough with uh, holiday time and kids off and stuff but we will see so I'm going to bat it right back to you because you'll always be doing some stuff. What have you been up to? Well, we'll get to that. I just wanted to say, though, um, you being very humble, I would recommend everyone does take a look at what you've been up to because, uh, fair enough, it's it's not Middle Earth, but it's it's cool. It's Thank worth you. looking Thank at. You. So people should go and look at it. Stop being humble. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I've, uh, I have, have been doing some. Um, I, I can't say I've done as much as I have done in previous months. It's... Um, Back end of this year, as he as the world's woken up a little bit, there's been more going on actually in life, which is in some ways great. Um, I mean, and work has gone crazy, um, in a good way, but all the same, it's um, all things do take a bit of a chunk out. And um, there'll be one or two people who may listen to this who will groan at this point, but I have been on a bit of a health kick. Um, I've gone on uh, heavily sort of doing exercise and dieting in an effort to counter the all of the horrible uh, lockdown flab and all that kind of stuff. So that's actually eaten up quite a lot of my time as well. 
and it's also made me very tired, so there's not been quite so much painting going on. So with that out of the way... Well, you've um, done really, really well. <laughs> to, to put yeah. for you there, you've, um, you, you've, you, you weren't huge before, but I know you wanted to lose a little bit of weight, and I should probably copy copy what you've done but you've 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 lost a really good amount of weight in a short period of time as well so fair you know that's never an easy thing to do so good on you no but unfortunately i i'm an all or nothing person with that kind of thing so um it is somewhat all-consuming much to the um uh, boredom and irritation of various people around me unfortunately um is generally what i've been <laughs> we- focused on and there's nothing wrong with being all or nothing. I I am all or nothing as well, and I eat all of it, and that's probably the problem. And drink all of it yeah. as well. Yeah, it just ain't half boring to hear from people all the time. So I am really sorry to those I've inflicted that uh, almost um, religious level of fervor um, regarding my, you know, almost evangelical dieting and stuff. So well, I haven't I picked do. up on it, but um, but I guess I guess I don't see you every day. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, there has been some uh, stuff done. Obviously, I uh, sort of started on my Vanquishers. Uh, I finished uh, Elrond and uh, Saruman. I can't remember where we got to last time we spoke. I think I was possibly working through Saruman or just finished him. Um, um, I'm working on Thrain. Uh, getting through through him. Uh, he's a lot more complicated, though. There's some really interesting textures and stuff going on, and I want to put the pattern on his cloak. Right. So okay. that's yeah. taking some time. I will. Um, <laughs> we just had the the recent um, Fellowship of the Ring special uh, for Bass Streams in Middle Earth, and uh, Carl, bless him, did send me uh, two of the uh, Last Alliance Elves, the Noldor Elves, uh, and I've painted one with the hand and a half for yes. that particular stream, Beautiful which I actually really enjoyed. Ah. Um, for a 20-year-old model, it's insane. They're not bad, those. It's beautiful. And they stand up better than the um, than the the Numenor. Um, oh, uh, yes, dramatically it's so. The, it's but... the pose, isn't it? They, I, I think the you think of iconic poses. We'll probably talk about thing iconic kind of visionary a little bit later on. But if you think about iconic scenes, and one of the things I remember walking away from watching the Fellowship is that. That, that opening scene with the with the elves and using their double handed and they when they bring them that 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 thrust that upper uppercut thrust with them um and it, you see there's a lot of movement in those sculpts and i think they're probably inspired by those scenes whereas if you think of the men of numenor I yeah, can't. they were milling around behind yes. uh, Elendil, looking quite frightened by Sauron, mostly. Yes, um, you, you don't think of the, the regular troops in the same way. Uh, it's sort of elegant and powerful, but you seem to see a lot more elves on the screen. So I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know the sculptors at the time, but it just feels like that there was a lot more, maybe passion and and um, influence from those from the, from from what they saw in the films that went into those sculpts. And for me, I look at those sculpts and I, it makes me makes me think of that scene that opening yeah scene. um some of those like the obviously the nelsons the brothers did phenomenally well and i know there was probably more new line oversight particularly at that time and i know that um at some point peter jackson did sit with the um the nelsons yeah. when they were looking at some of the sculpts which is which is cool in itself um but those early sculpts they did are just almost timeless and particularly this the the elf fast painting it just uh, the quality of it is just mental especially considering how far that um gw's like 
casting uh, technique and quality has improved over the years. The fact that it's still this good, yeah, is, yeah. Is did, did really, it make really you impressive. Want to paint more of them, or did you just was that why you enjoyed it because you weren't having to paint a couple of war bands? I don't know. I keep thinking about potentially doing just like a battle company of them. Uh-huh. Ah, that's a way to do it. Yeah. So that wouldn't be the worst idea in the entire world. Um, it means if I've got to paint, I think, two more, I'd have to do another one with a hand and a half and one with a bow and then do some Numenorians. So perhaps I will. Mm, um, that's one way of making it more than one miniature, which would be quite cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, obviously, it's well, at that point where it's been 20 years. And, um, yeah, White Dwarf, uh, or Games Workshop White Dwarf, have been doing a couple of uh, articles saying uh, White Dwarf 471 dropped this week. Yes. Uh, which is the second of their sort of 20-year anniversary ones. And um, I managed to realise uh, pretty much a lifelong dream and got my models in there. You certainly did. You certainly did. And it's uh, rather cool. Rather cool. I mean, yeah. you, it's something you've known about for what well, you've told me as well. We, you knew it was going to happen, but you couldn't, obviously couldn't tell anyone, could you? Um, no. So it's quite hard to keep, <laughs> keep that under wraps because um very exciting thing to happen um and, I, I can't um, remember actually when um i gave my models in to be photographed i think it was may yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> something it, like that it's been a while i remember you told me that it was likely to happen but you, you know you couldn't say definitely and you wouldn't really know till you got the magazine definitely no but, uh, no uh, up, right up to the point where i, I kept saying where of course it's gonna happen the they're not gonna take your models and take pictures of them and, and then not put them in there are they um, it was always a possibility though <laughs> and I, I didn't know until i knew and I'd, I'd have been the same. I wouldn't have wanted to mention it too much, just in case, because you would feel embarrassed. But you have absolutely no reason to feel embarrassed because it's, it's an, you've got a full page, haven't you? Yeah, I, I'm still slightly blown away by it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it is something I've always wanted. So it is very cool. It's incredible. Um, it's incredible. So it's especially a, in that way as well. Well, it's part of an article with lots of, you know, different people's models in isn't it so you've got guys from the studio mainly isn't it um so you've got um, yeah name some of the other people so you've got um obviously every metal painter so you've got maxine um corbell and you've got um natalie slynn um max is in there as well isn't he and you've got lewis collins who lewis works in the is it the the um museum exhibition, exhibition um making the terrain or something to do with that now um he's, he's awesome jay claire well. obviously yeah jay claire um has got um quite a few models in there and uh, and you have a, a whole page to yourself and uh, well you do want to go through what models you got in there so yeah uh this is this is where i start to get slightly embarrassed please <laughs> that's what i told you <laughs> yeah my uh my delgamar's in there yeah. uh my frodo and sam in orc armor uh, the original Golb, uh, the original Keeper of the Dungeons, yep. and uh, the Thranduil King of Mirkwood, but it's the one with the sword and crown and the long flubby robes. Yes, yeah, the one you did with the slightly metallic um, painting scheme, wasn't it, on the robes? Yeah, yeah, all metal, metallic robes, so, Fantastic. yeah, uh, which was, I'm still stoked. So, uh, there's something I've wanted ever since I ever read A White Dwarf was to get my models in there. And to actually manage it was awesome, and it's, it remains awesome. And yeah, it's it's, it's one of the, one for the bucket list that one. So I'm, I'm really happy. It's lovely to see you so. Um, it's, you know, you told me off about being modest, but so modest about it, but also proud as well, and so happy about it. It's really, really, genuinely fantastic to see to see it in there. And I know, like you said, 
bucket list thing for you. So it's it's wonderful to see. Well deserved as well. No? You've put some absolutely fantastic in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months or so since you've really really got into the the painting side of Middle Earth. Your your standard has grown and grown and grown. You've become known in the on the the scene for especially with you know through Instagram and, and in the Facebook groups and things as well for doing fantastic miniatures and people look to see and um and, uh, and you know that's the fruit of your labors so um deserved yeah so some of the capstone for that so that is, is very cool and um i am really stoked on it so thank you but not only that but there's lots of the really 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 good articles on middle earth yeah it's, uh, it's a health. good issue it's a really good issue it's it's one it's to, like 40 odd pages worth of middle earth stuff so i would yeah, if you've got to pick it up, if you if you're one of those people that uh, only picks Middle Earth up when it's got enough decent Middle Earth stuff, and then this is this is the one. <laughs> it really yeah. is. and and to be fair, actually, if if this one sells really well, then they might do more of it. Yes, and that would point. be amazing if they show that the hobby's alive and well, and that um, they can sell magazines with a good chunk of Middle Earth content. We we'll get more. Yes, you are totally right. I haven't even thought of that, and um, that's a really, really important point. It's uh, you, you've got to show. I don't know what the, the you know what the the editorial kind of remit is, and what they in, in, and what they need to think about. I know that the Middle Earth team seem to be pretty good at um, making sure that stuff goes in there, and I think that must come from 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 Rob and Jay and and, and Dan. I think you don't, you don't see that from from all other smaller systems, and I think out of the smaller games that come out of the specialist sort of side of the studio i think i might be wrong but i feel that you get more middle earth stuff more often than you do with some of the others um yeah. i wonder if that comes from it, it, things being offered, there's some also things being offered really, yeah there's, there's some really good other articles in there just for those interested the um I'm, I'm i keep an eye on i've always loved like tale of four painters or whatever you want to call it whatever variation it's been and um, Callum uh, McPherson, who um, he does a lot of the photography for the uh, codexes and army books, etc. Yes, yeah. Really talented chap. Um, he's in there. He's doing his host of excess for AOS. Might not mean much to people, but he's painted what they call the Gargans, big giants. He's done a beautiful job on it. But oh, I don't know if you noticed, Stu, it's called Old Man Mac. Is it? And I did laugh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't like his painting anymore. He's clearly having a Is it probably entirely, and uh, 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 you know, is it purely by coincidence? But I did laugh. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, really good, um, uh, just an issue anyway, uh, as it goes. And yeah, I promise we, we're not one to commission for this. Um, but <laughs> there's a hobby the bingo co- at the back. It's a hobby bingo. Yes, there is. It's a white dwarf it hobby bingo. So it's kind of any. Well, it's 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 um it's um any game, game system, system really, ag- yeah. agnostic, isn't it? Um, and you actually I, I, the way it's written pa- reads more to um, 40k and AOS, but still, it's probably no, it'll it, probably work. No, it'll work with anything. It really will. So, a hero or character, fortification or scenery, um, hero or the character. Lord of War or Behemoth that got me. Yeah, but you can you can adjust the odd thing. Um, they've yeah. got. You could always paint. Oh some, yeah, in small we'll, print. We'll for, in as, small uh, print, it does say the system underneath. But you could, you could use that very, very easily if you wanted to. I quite like the scoring box down the bottom when you've got you actually write in which model it is as well. 
So that's uh, a really good idea. I hope that um, the Middle Earth team take note of that because so it, it's a pain trying to run those yeah, squares. Jay or whoever it is that normally brings that out. He seems to be Jay that posted, but I don't know if it's him that knocks it up on the on the system. But that's quite cool. I quite like that. That's your that's your evidence. Quite like the, the quite like the format there. That's good. And it, but anyway, but did it start with Middle Earth that hobby bingo? I want to say yes. I can't remember. I'm sure someone will point it out. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's something that started years and years ago. But in its current format, I um, I got a feeling it started three years ago from the Middle Earth team, or at least restarted, maybe. And um, other systems and things seem to have caught on. And now that it's in White Dwarf, yeah, we'll claim it as a community driving that because of the excitement that the community seems to have behind it. I think we can, we can, we can claim it as a as a as a Middle Earth community driven thing that has now gone now gone full circle. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, definitely all us. All us. All of us. Well yeah, but, but mostly someone else. Um <laughs> <laughs> But oh. uh yeah that leads us on into a nice little segue. We'll take a little break and then we'll uh, discuss a little bit of uh, twenty years of, of Middle Earth as we know it. And we're back for part two of many meetings and a bit of a, an extended one. So with the the 20 year anniversary, we thought we'd uh, because it's a Christmassy show, we like to have a bit of a drink and a natter. We thought we'd uh, talk about our thoughts 20 years on. So thoughts on the films and, and the game. So just in general kind of Middle Earth from from the point where Jackson released that first film. So what Dan, when did you first become aware of the film? And kind of got excited about watching it, or when were you first aware it was coming? It was it was in an Empire magazine actually, and I I remember the it was an image uh, of of you actually. I think they used it quite a lot. It was, um, it was like Ringwraith uh, on on horse in the, in the like it was in the dark, and it got a light behind it, shining it, silhouetting it. Yes, obviously yeah. around um, of that Buckleberry Ferry kind of, and those the. the because there were rumours for a little while that someone was putting it together and it was potentially going somewhere. And then there were rumours it was Peter Jackson. And bear in mind that at that point, I was about six, 15, 16. Right, okay. And I'd seen uh, Bad Taste and Brain Dead or Dead Alive or something like and Meet the Feebles. And I was what? <laughs> How can it be this, this guy doing this? But it'd been, you know, teased for so long that potentially it could happen, and everyone was always like, "No, it could never be made." So, yeah, it was it was really weird the idea that this may actually happen, and I was quite excited. And then, and then it got confirmed it was happening, and then they started talking about, "Oh, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, uh, potentially Christmas time, two thousand one, and you know." Which was which was crazy, and the world went a bit mental. Obviously, um, during <laughs> September, yeah, for obvious reasons. Um, and obviously, you never know how anything's going to go at that point. And then there was more talked about, more talked about. And then they started. My brother was a big Harry Potter fan, and he started going on about because obviously that was the same year that um, the uh, was it the Philosopher's Stone was released, the first, yeah, the first Harry one, Potter. Yeah. Um. And then I, I heard through the grapevine, I can't remember where I read this, I think it may have been the old portent forums back in the day, 
uh, that there was a trailer for Lord of the Rings at the beginning of the Harry Potter movie. So I got a little bit excited about that. And so I went along with my family to go and watch Harry Potter just to watch this trailer. And it was the one, the sort of the first cinematic one they did where, you know, it showed them sort of there were some bits and pieces like uh, orcs marching about and that kind of thing. And then it showed the the Fellowship walking over the rise and you got to see the, the full nine of the Fellowship. And then at the end, you just see the Balrog's foot where they're being chased through Moria. I just remember those two particular bits, particularly about that. And I could have packed up and gone home at that point. I stayed to watch the rest of the movie um, about Harry Potter and, you know, as you do, <laughs> pay for it. But I can remember just being so excited, so incredibly excited. And then um, my mum was working for the local council. So she was in the centre of town and she went down to the box office and bought myself and my dad tickets for the opening night, first show, eight o'clock on that Thursday uh, to go and watch Fellowship of the Ring. And it, yeah, it's just, it's hard to believe it's 20 years. Crazy. I mean, to put, to put this in perspective, a couple of weeks, you know, a week or so ago, it was, um, you know, the, the, the premiere, 20 years for the premiere of uh, Fellowship of the Ring, which is just crazy. Yeah, it really is. It makes me feel very old, but... <laughs> it makes you feel old, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I um I rewatched uh, Fellowship on Sunday evening, and I, I still get excited about it. It's great. It's, it's mad. Yeah, I, so, I, can, uh, I can definitely concur with the, the excitement about the films. They, that magic has is, is, is never disappeared. Never thought it was going to happen. No one had ever thought it was going to happen. It, so many times people tried and um obviously tolkien got quite shirty about it what was it in the 50s 60s oh, i think he got quite the beatles shirty tried to have a go Bert- when he thought the beatles were going to do it i don't i think yeah, um, yeah i can beatles. understand that i think it would have been you know if you've anyone yeah. seen yellow submarine um you, you, then, you've got some he's got some rights to be concerned about what they might do well there is that's that's very true and then you got the obviously the basky ones and yeah all that jazz but to get what we got is you couldn't dream of that. No, he, well, no, not at all. I, he I, nailed it. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't. I'm trying to remember how aware I was of it at the time. I remember I would have. I finished uni, um, just finished uni, and I was living with sort of shared house with some friends and things. And my my focus. I think I talked about it a lot before. I wasn't gaming at this point. I was in uh, my my focus was very much on working hard, but then um, playing very hard in the 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 evenings and quite a few evenings each week. Um, and uh, but I, you know, I still enjoyed. I'd, I'd grown up with with Lord of the Rings, and I'd grown up with Bashki films, um, film sorry, and um, read all the books so many times. I was still reading the book at that point, probably once a year. Still, so I was still deeply kind of in the, the the Tolkien world but what I didn't do is I didn't really sort of follow it in any wider sense I wasn't a member of any societies I didn't really go on the the, you know, the, the fledgling internet forums and things around that time um, I don't know I honestly can't remember when I first became aware of the film um, and whether I saw trailers or not I can't remember seeing a trailer but I may have done um, but I knew, I, I know I knew when it was coming out and I knew I was really excited to see it and I wanted to see it as soon as I possibly can. And I remember it was around Christmas time. My mum used to come and visit me at Christmas, funny enough, and I couldn't get time off to travel home. 
Um, and my housemates would pretend to go home to their own families over Christmas for a week or so. So my mum used to come and stay with me and sleep in one of their rooms, so to speak. Boring, but that, that, there's your, there's your, there's your uh, boring background story that you don't need to hear. Um, but she would she loved um, Lord of the Rings as well. So I remember the first time I saw it, I went to see it with her. Um, and we were just blown away. And I think those opening scenes that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, we talked about the elves, um, were as soon as I saw those, I knew it was going to be an incredible film. And then that first sort of 25 minutes after that in the Shire, that was it then. You just, I just fell in love. That just sets it up so much. You just sort of, you don't want to leave the film. You want to go and live in the Shire from that point. Um, and, and as soon as that was so magical, that part, there were so many nods to the amazing, in my view, an amazing start to the book, which is very long and very slow, really. But it's, I, you know, it just made me realise that they get it. They care about the world and uh, these films are going to be good. Um, and for, I can remember, you know, sharing a lot of glances with my mum, who was, you know, also such a big Tolkien fan. Just a few, quite a few glances i knew she was enjoying it and feeling the same way as i did and i just knew at that point it was going to be something ex- extremely special and i think i watched it two more times in the first the next couple of weeks i went to see it with my girlfriend a week later or something when she came to stay around, around christmas time um and yeah it's it just it was from that point on i was absolutely obsessed with it um well re-obsessed with it if that makes sense obsessed with, with lord of the rings in a new way um and it was a new way to enjoy them and these um the films just even the bits they changed just didn't feel wrong or out of the place because they kept for me they kept the essence so yes, they, well. they had the heart of it. Yeah, that, that exactly. The heart was there, um, and and everything looked the way it should do. And I don't know whether that was my mind, kind of retrospectively, kind of going changing the views of things. Obviously, I've read the book so many times. I had mental images of what the characters should look like, but then after watching that film, I don't know what those images were because they're gone. And I guess when you manufacture an image in your head. It's never fully manufactured, is it? It's uh, it's not when you have a dream and there's someone in your dream who's not real. Um, you've kind of you got a it's believable in your dream. You can't remember that face when you wake up, so to speak. And I wonder if that's what it's a bit like when you manufacture a face for a um, for a story you're reading when you've never seen an image. Um, it's it's there and it works for on an abstract level, but as soon as it's replaced by something real and tangible, then that's it. That kind of replaces it. But that was it. I could those faces were. Were the were the people from then on, and still to this day, those actors are what I picture when I when I read those books or listen to the audiobooks. So, before we go on to the other films and things, then um, and the, what's happened over the last twenty years, let's kind of dodge into the game for a little bit. Then, so when were you first aware of the game being released? And uh, uh, a White Dwarf article uh-huh. when they first talked about the fact they were going to do it. Yes. Um, some point in the same year, again, I think the same image was used, the, the, the ring wraith on, on horse. Uh, and then we saw the Bilbo model. Right. I, I can tell that. you that was in March 2001 in White Dwarf issue 255. That would be the... Uh, That's because it's in the article, it's in the current issue of White Dwarf that it says... Ah, uh, right, okay. <laughs> it actually says that was... There's a little box that actually says that that's when it was announced, so with White Dwarf issue 255 announces the Games Workshop will be collaborating with New Line Cinema to make a game um, and miniatures based on the Lord of the Rings movies. 
Meanwhile, a select team from the Games Workshop Design Studio are frantically sculpting, writing, painting, photographing, and designing the game in absolute secrecy. So uh, I'm pretty sure yes. throughout that year I would have known the film was coming. Like you said, I started occasionally by Empire Magazine. I probably bought um, GQ and FHM a bit more at that time in my life, but uh, um, I, did, I did buy um, Empire as well. So um, I... Yeah, it's it's weird actually because I remember that White Dwarf cover. It was a really good White Dwarf. It's got the old um, long beards on the front of it. It has. Yeah, it has. You're right. I just zoomed in there because. Yeah, I, I, from from just even from little image, I pulled that straight off. I was like, ah. yeah. Um, and then I, I have to admit, I wasn't particularly fussed about the game. Uh-huh. I know that sounds awful, and I to to admit this in this forum probably is made you know massive intake of breath. <laughs> but I really wasn't that fussed. I was deep in the well of 40k at that point, and I was you know doing a bit of fantasy. And I remember um, for Christmas that year, my um, mother of bought me uh, the Fellowship in Metal. Uh-huh. So, um, which I still own, still in cellophane. I've not, I've never painted that to this day. So that's, that's twenty years old now. Which I can't remember if they were they were doing white metal by that point. It wasn't lead anymore, was no, it? So no, it was definitely white funny. metal. Um, I wasn't gaming at the time, but it was definitely white white metal. Yes. Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, I, I think I played a couple of um, intro games at the shop, you know, yeah. around December um, when they first, you know, started going crazy uh, on it. Um, but I have to admit, first few years, it, it passed me by a little bit. I, I never really wanted to engage in the game, and I know that seems a bit weird. And generally, when I did play it, I generally preferred it as a small-scale skirmish game almost right. like battle companies would be now where the individual dice rolls mattered more. I just really wasn't at all fussed by it. And I didn't really come back to it until I started working for the company and because <laughs> it was one of the three core games. I had to have a force by the end of my probation period of, of the army. <laughs> so I, I did some, um, Isengard. Right. Yep. And then, I don't mind saying this now. Uh, the one of the outgoing managers in the store, when I, uh, he, he he took them. He uh, I won't say, well, he stole them, basically. Right. So uh, nice. yeah, that was that was fantastic. And then I couldn't be bothered to paint another army. So um, again, through to the end of my tenure in um, GW, which was I saw it through War of the Ring. I left sometime 2010, 2011. Yeah. War of the Ring had been out about for about a year or so. I remember trying to paint a Corsair army around that time, and that really put me off um, painting anymore. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't come back to the game. I was aware that The Hobbit was released after I left the company, but it was when you basically um, clawed me into, into the game, what, two, two and a half years ago? Yeah, something like yeah, It probably was about two and a half years ago now, wasn't it? So everything in between, I was loosely aware that it had, it had happened, but I never really paid any attention to it, like which sounds people, awful. I think, no, I think I like like a lot of um, gamers from from GW's other systems, especially 40k, would you know obviously be aware of it exists. But if they've not got an interest in playing the game, they yeah, uh, it's just so weird though. I've always been so massively into the books, and I was I was obsessed with the movies. Yeah. Um, I went first showing, first day, eight o'clock on a Thursday with and we my, my dad and I even sat in the same seats all three years for the first three movies. 
Wow, I think I went on the first showing I've locally. Still yeah, got the it? ticket tubs, uh, ticket stubs somewhere. Really, oh, I, I gen- genuinely have still got them somewhere. It's one of the sort of things that my, my dad and I did. I wish I kept them actually, because thinking about now, I would have liked to have them, even if I was just using them as a bookmark or something. But uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't think to keep them at the time. I don't know why. There's, there's, they're still around somewhere. I think they're in a box at my parents somewhere, but I, I still have those ticket stubs oh, because nice. they were they're kind of special. And then, and then yeah, I, was, I think the Hobbit uh, came out. The three Hobbit movies came out when I was and I went with my other half um, at the time. And but again, I, I didn't really have any uh, interest in collecting the game. <coughs> and then uh, yeah, so. Kind of um, in regards to the game in twenty years, it's my, my side of things isn't that uh, isn't that broad all that interesting. I'm afraid. <laughs> well, I um, I've talked a little bit about it in our sort of our pilot show, and then in the uh, episode we had Damien, and we were talking about kind of coming out of the hobby closet a little bit. But I wasn't gaming at that point anyway because I stopped when I went to uni. I've talked about this before, so I had a, had a break, um, and I didn't feel comfortable telling people that I used to like toy soldiers and that I'd like to maybe play them again don't get me wrong it's not something I was very consciously thinking about all the time um, but I do think if there was no perceived social kind of you know issue stopping me from, from doing it maybe I would have got back into it and I did look in the window of the local games workshop when I walked past um, and I can't remember when I saw or found out that the game was coming out um, I can't remember if it's walking past and seeing it in the window or seeing it in a magazine or something, but I remember when I saw that the, the Fellowship sort of starter set box being advertised, I remember then thinking, oh, I really want that, but I can't because I'm not gaming and I haven't gamed for years and that's be super embarrassing to buy that. And then what am I going to do with it? Because I can't tell my mates I'm going to want it. But I remember wanting it. Um, and then... I remember buying it, but I don't remember when I that when I bought it, whether it was really quickly or soon after release, or whether it had been out a while or not. I don't know. And, uh, and even if I did game back then, I was as I said before, I was for, you know I was doing lots of other stuff at that point, and maybe it wouldn't have got played that much anyway. But um, I remember buying it, and I've told the story before of buying it and uh, putting it in a plain bag on the way home and uh, opening it in secret in my room in my shared house and. Um, building some of the models and reading the rules and, and doing that all in secret and never tell anyone I had it. And uh, eventually, after a couple of house moves, and uh, one day I was packing up to move to a different house and um, just binned it all. Well, we talked about that before, but I remember reading the rules and um, I don't know if I had any opinion on them at the time, really. I just, all I remember thinking of, it seems fine. It looks loving the, the way the models look, loving the kind of presentation of it. But I can remember not getting it at the time in the same way as I would now. I absolutely love the, the strategy battle system, the game system. I think it's really, really got some real charm. And I love it as a game system, regardless of um, the, you know what's behind it. Uh, but I remember at the time not getting it in that way and just thinking... Oh, it's a bit more skirmishy, and I think I had in my head mass battles. I want to play mass battles like I've seen in the uh, in the in the films, rather than refight the skirmishes with the heroes in the films. It's always been about army battles and things for me. And I, the gaming I was doing when I before I went to uni, I I started to slow down on my GW gaming, even though I was doing epic and stuff as well. But I was also doing a bit of historical, funny enough, at that time, uh, and I was doing like six mil and ten millimeter millimeter napoleonics and doing um 
Zulu War and things like that. I quite I got quite into sort of mass battle games, and I remember loving the miniatures and sitting there with this box thinking it's irrelevant really because I'm not playing this game. But I can remember reading the rules and thinking, oh, it's a bit it's a bit small scale in terms of numbers of troops, so to speak. And it wasn't it wasn't even Warhammer fa- fantasy esque. I can remember thinking, oh, I wish there was a I wish it was a bit more like Warhammer Fantasy, but Lord of the Rings, and it was all ranked up units and things. I didn't get it at the time, but you know, I wasn't as I say, I wasn't really a, an active gamer, so to speak. And a few years later, when Lord of the Ring came out, um, and I was back gaming then. I, I did remember thinking, "Oh, brilliant! This is exactly what I wanted." And I remember buying it, and I still, I don't think I ever played a game of it. I remember buying lots of stuff, but never actually getting around to play it. And a bit like you, I got back into when I did get back into gaming. This game existed. It was in the shops, you know. It was in game. It was in GW, um, but it just didn't really. I don't know why. I just didn't pick it up. And um, yeah, and I've talked about. I, this, I still don't understand it either. I talked about this a little bit in the kind of the, when we first started the podcast, and I talked about my reasons for starting to play the game, and that I'd been watching. Um, Damien and Tom on a plant here for years, and watching some of this stuff on the old GBHL channel, um, and enjoying it, but also then going back and playing Heresy and then going back and playing Warhammer Fantasy. So watching these things, and it's always been, oh, one day I'll get into that because it's my favourite universe in the world. But I still wasn't, whatever it was, it wasn't enough to sort of drag me into the game. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because the some, same. some of the miniatures were quite old looking at that time. And I, I don't I don't know. So maybe it was... By the time I did start, there was so much Forge World stuff and some of the neoplastic sculpts that kind of made me, as a as a painter and as someone that really likes miniatures, made me think, right, there's enough new stuff now to, to catch my interest. But it was always one of those, I want to play this one day, but for some reason the game system wasn't appealing. And as soon as I started playing, I absolutely loved it and I regret not playing it years and years before. But without knowing the game, without playing a few games of it and having a few demos, just the general presentation of it that i saw didn't drag me in at the time and i was completely wrong really i should have should have started years before but uh um yeah but, i yeah. couldn't have afforded that i'm glad you didn't <laughs> well i was spending enough well, i was spending enough on other things and one thing tends to re- replace the other quite often um i can't imagine i'd have been playing fantasy and that um if that makes sense um so maybe that's what it was i just when i started gaming again i dabbled in 40k but it was all about warhammer fantasy which was my first ever my first love um with with war gaming and um will always remain uh, you know like a, a place in my heart nostalgia wise same way as i i get phone nostalgia now so you talk about people that have been playing with um hbg since since launch and yes i did buy that original edition but i didn't buy anything then until the latest edition at least i've owned it all now but at least at least a game with um but you you people that have, have, have worked all the way through all the different editions and all the different genres i get the nostalgia thing and i've bought the other stuff and i get the nostalgia from a i know gw nostalgia point of view because i gamed back in the day and i you know my first white dwarf was 138 and all the rest so um so i get it from a nostalgia point of view for games workshop but i you know it's it wasn't actually my nostalgia no, exactly um, the same. Game, I can just I can just understand it from from my own perspective. Um, but um, so I, I missed the rest. So I missed the um, the two towers release. Um, I did go back and buy more stuff as well. I went back and I remember buying the um, Amon Hem box set um, because I wanted because wanted more than you just got in the box. So I did you know, probably six months later or so. I did buy the Amon Hem box set and I remember buying the two towers and the Return of King rule books on their own. 
So maybe by the time I'd bought the Fellowship Starter, it was nearly time for the Two Tower Starter to come out. So I probably kept it under the under the bed in my, my house for ages. And by the time I did go back and buy more, um, two more editions, so to speak, I mean, that potentially only two years later, when did the Return of the King box that's 2003 so they kind of coincided with the films didn't they so it may well be you know that i bought the uh the fellowship one right at the end of 2001 and then bought some more stuff in 2003 so i remember buying those rule books and then realizing it was essentially the same rule book with a few extra bits in it and i remember buying the allen headset because i wanted the fellowship but that wasn't in stock at the games workshop in worcester at the time but um and then that was it really as i said i got rid of it all when i'd when I moved house, along with some other little bits that I was hiding under my bed, um, I hid in my nerd stuff, um, and I didn't really have anything, you know, any awareness of it other than, you know, probably about five or six years ago, I started watching the Planter on and off. I just had a, it was weird watching that and not playing the game, but it was nice to stay in touch with the, with that. So let's go back to films then, as we've got a big hole in our um, gaming career for that sort of time. Um, can you remember going to see the Two Towers? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, same, well, well, all the original three, The Lord of the Rings, um, I went to see with my dad. Same same seats, same showing, same everything. Uh, my mum would go and get the tickets uh, from on our lunch break at the council and yeah, we'd go. That was that was our thing. Um, I just, uh, just the excitement. And, and then the worst thing was coming out of each showing knowing it was a year and then coming out of... Return of the King, even with the um, start-stop ending, and you, you know, which was a slight anticlimax, is still something that slightly niggles me now. <laughs> the way that he ends it, just knowing there wasn't going to be any more. I, I remember the the, the 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 crushing disappointment of um, coming out of uh, Return of the King, and that there wouldn't be any more, or at least at the time. Yes. Knowing. In yeah. inverted commas, but I, I must have seen each of those films uh, ten plus times at the cinema each time, and then I'd buy them as soon as they came out. Mm-hmm. You know, this was this was DVD at the time. Um, I, I I think the only films I've owned owned in more formats than the Lord of the Rings trilogy is Blade Runner, which I, I think I've got about five copies of in various iterations. Um, yeah, I was just so stoked on them. Yeah, they just—they they were everything I could have ever wanted them to be. They—they they got what I wanted. I mean, they're, they're, everyone's very quick to throw rocks at them if 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 in that kind of mood, saying, "Oh, you know, they missed this, they missed that." Scaring the Shire always comes up, and Tom Bombadil, and thank goodness for that. <laughs> um, but it does obviously the the whole Barrow Downs and the Blades of Westerness and all that kind of stuff. It, it fair enough. There were concessions made to uh, you know cinematography i'm fine with that but i i don't think we could ask for better versions of those movies and i'm genuinely not sure they could be made that well again today um no maybe I not i think there'll be too much studio meddling and too much problems i know that there were enough problems with miramax trying to have their own way with it which is why it ended up a new line um yeah. and why uh as it turns out, obviously Harvey Weinstein's known for very different things these days, but he ended up being a, an Uruk, I believe. Yeah, Potato Head Moranon would be appropriate for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank but, God uh, he was covered by a, um, a rubber mask anyway. Um. Yeah, he, he's, he's, um, 
they were they were just superlative movies. They still are. Mm. Given their age, they've held up so well, especially given the amount of reliance on CGI, which ages much, much worse than celluloid. You know, just generally filming and prosthetics and film props. CGI ages quite badly, um, and it still holds up. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the way they pioneered so many different types of technology is phenomenal. I think that's probably the key, isn't it? Is that uh, how far ahead of its time and how pioneering it was that it's... Um that films five, ten years after were still producing stuff that's not as good as it was. Um, and that's why it stood the test of time. At some yeah. point, it will start to look old. But um, amazingly, with all of the, the different additions that we've had and the different, re, you know, sort of when it's become Blu-ray and then now 4K, it's, they've, they've, yeah. they've upgraded each time enough that it just adds new life into it without making it look um, remastered in a way that's... Um, yeah, you can it's, see it's to kind of they're working with it, but it's not. I give an example. It's probably not the best example. It's something I watched last week actually. So there's a film called Waterloo from 1970. Um, that's that's available in HD now, and you can see in places even though they've they've upgraded it and remastered it, there's still parts when you can see the flicker of the film. So it's kind of you, you can only take that so far. But with what yeah, but what, even what they're working since, though, with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like um, Kingdom of Heaven, I was having a discussion recently with Pete, Pete Whitlam, actually, about this. And um, particularly when um, uh, Saladin uh, attacks and uses the trebuchets against Jerusalem, and there's the, the sort of the flaming missiles, it, it looks like robot chicken. It literally looks like a cardboard cutout that's been shuffled across the screen. It looks <laughs> appalling. I haven't seen considering it in so that was, long. So that was a full it. four years after they did the Balrog fellowship yeah uh it just it's it's night and day yeah and i mean like 300 looks terrible in 4k does it I, I because the 4K. grain that they put on the backgrounds to make it look like the comic pages just pixelates so horribly uh okay yeah it makes sense it's yeah, so it. okay. the fact that the lord of the rings trilogy looks this good this far on with only minor tweaking, the Blu-rays, they didn't touch them. They just literally just converted them to Blu-ray and put them in the resolution and they look that good. Yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I suppose. Um, well, let's kind, of, let's kind of segue on that a little bit. So if we go back a bit. I, I, I felt the same about you. Uh, the same about you. About you. I felt the same about you. I felt the oh, same I, I about like the just films. Oh, I just as good 20 years later. <laughs> as, um, as you did, the, the, second, the second and third films. They... Um, was just incredibly excited to see them each time. I can't remember how many times I, I watched them. Probably not as much as um, Damien did, but um, definitely definitely about three times each, I think, during that kind of holiday period. Um, and I saw them with different people again. I think I, my mum came to visit each Christmas and I went to see it with her and, and I went to see it with other friends as well and, and I went to see it with a girlfriend at the time. So as many different people that hadn't seen it yet. Right, do you want to see it? Yep, yeah, brilliant. Well, let's go again. Um, I definitely watched it a few times. and Infected um, by Stu, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. But um, I think you talked about buying the DVDs. I was exactly the same that as soon as a, a version came out, I, I bought it. Um, but we haven't really talked about the first time the extended films came out and the, the, the all the extras on the Blu-rays. And that was oh, 
quite yeah. special for me. I, I've, I've watched some extras before on films, but not much. I watched the odd. You remember when you used to have the, the only way to watch a making of the film was, was something that was on a Saturday afternoon. On, yeah, um, on a, Like a documentary making of it. You very rarely got to see them. So they weren't something that were put on on films. And in the depth that it that they cover it in those films... It's probably never been covered again. There might be other films out there that I'm unaware of, but I don't think of any. Can't think of any other films that have got that level of number of extras or behind the scenes stuff as as those Lord of the Rings films. And they are uh, an absolute um, sort of education in their own right about just about how films are made in general, um, let alone how special they are. But th- those I loved, and I remember when I bought them, watching it like. I say wasting. Um, I wasn't wasting my time, but you know what I mean. I just was watching it and not been able to stop watching it until I watched it all, all of the extras. And there's a lot of hours in those extras. Um, and then just watching them again and again, and that became many a rainy Sunday or or many uh, a day after the night before the night before when I was feeling a bit down sometimes. Um, and um, and you would just put them on and just lie in bed and, and, and watch them and um, many a comfort as well in times when I've, you know things haven't been as good as a good way to lose yourself and it's such a they had it appeared on the screen anyway they had such a great time making those films as such a, a positive environment doing something they're all so passionate about and again in a world that I was in love with um, watching those those extras is a real kind of comfort watch for me. I don't know about you, but I, and I still love them. Oh, now. definitely. So I just I get to the point where I think oh, I'm going to put those on, and um, and every time I put them on, it's just warm, fuzzy feeling. And I almost enjoy watching them as much as I do watching the film sometimes now. Um, and um, and that hasn't changed. Um, and you know, I've got Blu-ray editions now. I still haven't picked up my 4K editions. I was going to wait to see what was in the um, special edition box, but there's not really any extra footage, is there? So uh, no, it's the, the Blu-ray versions of all the appendices and stuff, and then it's yeah. the 4K versions of the movies. So I will probably just pick up the normal um, 4K um, six film set. To be honest with you, then, um, because it's, I wanted to hold out just in case there was extra behind-the-scenes footage that we'd never seen before, and I didn't want to go and spend. Was it like? I think it's down. I think on Amazon now it's about seventy pounds for the 4K um, extended six films I can't remember maybe it's just a trilogy or something but it's, it's come down a lot in price um, and it definitely will again in January so I will go and pick them up now and now I know that that big wonderful collector's edition <coughs> is nice but no real extra footage of any significant amount I'm still tempted by it now actually I'd I like it originally it was a hard no but I'm kind of there you've got I think there's that original trailer that they've put at the, the Cannes Film Festival I think that's extra isn't it yeah but I don't know if there's any other extra stuff. And for me, it was all about extra behind-the-scenes footage. Um, and I don't think... I watched a review on it on YouTube, actually, and then, and the guy who reviewed it was very complimentary of it, but did say, look, this they've still got room to do more. Um, and we know he's talked about stuff that I didn't know about. There, there is more footage out there, apparently. But it's it's down to the studios giving it back to, to the team, I suppose, to do something with it. There are deleted scenes. We know they film more stuff, um, so they could put more on those videos. There's, they they film scenes with um, Arwen at Helm's Deep. We get the odd little clip, little image here or there, but they've, they've, there's definitely more stuff that they filmed but never finished. So whether Arwen, they... yeah, you mean Arwen in the uh, in the glittering caves? No, 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 no. There was a version of of Helm's Deep with That's... Arwen fighting there as well. 
Oh wow! Was hit, they hit the cutting room floor a long time ago. So there was loads of different. That's mentioned in the um, in, in in the standard appendices and things. So there's the odd little clip of it. So there's they did, there's lots of stuff that got dropped from the film because the story arc changed slightly. Um, so they film stuff. So there is still stuff unless they they incinerated it. And I don't think they would. There is still film out there, but obviously it won't have any visual effects and stuff. So. Again, they got the ability to go back and add the effects now if they wanted to, which is something that's not normally done. But it's such a big franchise, isn't it, that to, there is still the hope in the future that they would be new, more stuff. I just guessed, guessed like a lot of people that they hoped that in 20 years that would, this would have been the time to to do that. But maybe if you're smart, or you do, you've just had your 4K release, so now you wait to 25 years, don't you? And then you bring out your quarter of a century edition in five years' time with some extra footage or something. Um, but it'd be cool if it happened, but there's definitely oh, yeah. some more Cue stuff. all the cynics saying they just want all our money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you don't have to buy it, do you? Um, and there'll be a new thing by then. We'll be past 4K, won't we? So we'll be uh, hardwired into yeah. your brain or something like that. Um, who who knows? But um, yeah, those those um, appendices anyway, I've got a very special place in my, and I've still got all my original, normally when I buy a Blu-ray, I'll get rid of the, the standard definition things I've, I've kept them all um and the same with the uh it, same with the, the blu-rays as well and now when i get 4k i'll keep keep all the blu-rays i've got them got the films on apple as well so i can no matter where i am as long as i've got some wi-fi somewhere i can log into apple and download them and watch them there i wish i wish when you bought a film digitally you got the all the extras and things as well that you get that's a selected bit on some but not much that would be cool. That's the next thing. If anyone works at Apple listening to this, that's your next thing to do. So make sure that you uh, put all the digital extras and you pay the same price for the uh, download as you would for the DVD, then you should get it all. Take a lot of space on their servers. Um, but then I suppose let's go back to, I suppose not the game, but Hobbit, I suppose, would be the next stage, wouldn't it? And how, do you, how did you feel when they, you, it was announced that the Hobbit films were coming out? I was really excited for it. Um because I didn't really know what to expect from it. Uh, obviously, there was... It went, seemed to go for a bit of... Um, of necessarily a development hell, but obviously it was originally going to be two movies, and had Guillermo del Toro, and then Peter Jackson was only producing, and then it all... Didn't, didn't they talk about Spielberg at one point? Yeah. Wasn't okay. he mentioned as being something to do with it? And then it kind of... I, I wasn't paying huge amounts of attention to it for a while. And then they, I remember seeing an article uh, again, I want to say empire or total film. And it had Thorin's company and obviously the actors who were playing each of the individual dwarves. And uh, I think that was probably one of the first times I really sat there and took a bit more notice of it. Yeah. I thought, oh, this could be good. And then they said Martin Freeman. And bear in mind that what I knew of Martin Freeman up to that point was Ali G. Okay. And so you're going to say yeah, the office. I was bit, no, 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 no. I, I, I couldn't have been able to stand the office. I, I do apologise. But um, it was Ali G. And then, yeah, that was a weird one for me. I was thinking, Martin Freeman as Bilbo. Okay. Because obviously I'd appreciated by that point that Ian Holm was getting a bit long in the tooth to play Bilbo. Yeah. Um, but uh, I started to get a bit more excited for it, and then there was used to be some trailers. They made a big to-do about the frame rate and stuff at the time, and I actually found that kind of conversation that was going on around it quite irritating. 
So I didn't actually see it in the um, higher frame rate the first time round. I did see it in the higher frame rate, and it it was very slick. But I remember just going to see the movie, and the first time they sort of did the the mist, Misty Mountain song and things like that, and they they kept a lot of the childlike sort of enthusiasm from the book that comes over. Yeah, it was still a movie of a kid's book, but done in a way that made it more accessible to everyone. Yeah. And I really, really liked it. I like the stylized nature of how the costumes are put together and the CGI and the prosthetics. I'm, in, in a lot of ways, I actually prefer the Hobbit trilogy as a set of movies mm-hmm. to the Lord of the Rings trilogy because they're just so beautifully put together. There's a there's a whimsy and a, just a general essence of fun to those movies that I really love. And actually, if I'm having a bad day, I'd rather watch the Hobbit movies than I would Lord of the Rings to cheer me up. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. I mean, the the Shire's the same in both, which... Uh, yeah. Is, yeah, if I backtrack a little bit before I forget then. So when I was first aware of it, I was very excited. I was nervous when it wasn't Peter Jackson. I just... Because because at that point, I was so invested in his way of filmmaking from spending so many hours watching those behind the scenes and those extras. I didn't want anyone else to do it, so I was a little sad when he wasn't doing. But I thought, well, he's, he's producer, so at least he's involved, so to speak. Um, but then, I, yeah, again, I didn't know what to make of it. I was worried that um, I suppose in so, new, so many ways about the way people are worried now that the Amazon series could detract in some ways or spoil how magical the the the, the Peter Jackson releases are. I was a bit concerned that it wouldn't be as as good and it would kind of detract a little bit. Um, and then when I found out he was doing it, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, I think by that point I was just excited, um, and I because the age of the internet was 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 stronger then, <laughs> um, literally stronger and faster. Um, I sort of followed it a lot more than I when I did from the sort of the first time round. So yeah, so I was just generally more more excited. I think um, to see what happened. I wasn't too judgmental. I didn't read too much of the negative stuff. I never have done really. I tend to look at official releases rather than trawl around on, on forums. Um, I was just excited to, to see what was coming. I think I was aware of the two films and then changed it to three. Um, I think I preferred that. Um, I was a little bit... Cause I think when I first heard about it, the the general consensus was that you were going to have a Hobbit film, which would be a standalone film, and then that the second film was going to be some kind of bridging film to bridge between the hobbit and, and the lord of the rings and i was a bit nervous about that even though i thought it's a nice idea and i want to have more lord of the rings but also you know what i don't want anything completely made up not really even considering that it wouldn't be made up it's just stuff from the appendices anyway um i don't know when that part died or what changed but that's what i read at some point i don't think know if that was ever actually the case but you don't you don't get the full picture do you but um i think when i knew it was going to be a trilogy I did think, oh, how are they going to stretch it out? And that was my concern, that uh, a big book in three films, great, or a small book stretched could be an issue. Um, I know that's some people's criticisms of it now, but I wasn't negative about it. I was just like, oh, I hope they don't mess it up. And I really enjoyed it um, when I went to see it. I had the same excitement. The You start with the Shire again, and as soon as it was the same Shire, I thought, this is going to be fine. This is still the Lord of the Rings that I know. I remember enjoying it. I can remember feeling 
that the song, I don't think I enjoyed the um, Bilbo Baggins song the first time it was on. I think it kind of, at that was the point that made me realise, like just what you said, that it was the reason you like it, it was quite more jovial, etc. Made me realise it wasn't going to quite have quite the same feel as uh, the Lord of the Rings films. I, I was, I don't know, maybe uncomfortable watching it. It was like it was slightly embarrassing. Oh, oh this is a funny song in it. But, the second time I watched it, it was fine. I got it then, but I think it was just a surprise. I didn't expect them to start singing in the film. Um, and I hadn't read about that beforehand. So that was just my initial reaction was, like, oh, they're singing. That's a bit weird. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I love them all. We've talked about it before. We're not going to turn to review of the the films as such now. Um, there are bits in the um, Hobbit films that I wouldn't mind if, if they were different. Whereas I can't really think of anything I'd want different in the Lord of the Rings films. So, but I do love them. And uh, in, for me, they're all just part of one big thing anyway. Um, it's very hard to separate which bits I like more than the others. And it's very hard to rank favourites for me. I like to change my mind depending on what I've been watching and what I like. So um, I don't want to get into all that. There are, you know, there's some story arcs that I would have been happy to see in a different way. But I'm also not upset that they were the way they were, where they are, if that makes sense. Um, but we've talked, we've reviewed that, we've done a show before, haven't we, when we kind of talked about that. Um, but, but yeah, um, I was, just really enjoyed them. And, and again, as soon as they were out of the, the films, out of the cinema, I was eager to pick up the DVDs and then eager to, to went really excited for those extended editions um, and the extras. Um, well, that's something we didn't really mention. We talked about the extended editions coming out, but I mean, how much did you enjoy the, the sheer amount of extra footage that there was, especially for the Lord of the Rings films, it's an incredible amount, wasn't it? It's like, yeah, it's, like, it's a, well, more talking, isn't it? Everyone's yeah, more it's just, I was like, whoa, this is you know, they've really extended the film. It's not just like a director's cut with an extra 10 minutes in and a scene here different. It was whole scenes put in and they were noticeable. You'd be watching the film and go, oh my god, this is all new, I've never seen this before, and that, that excitement. Um, and uh, well, they've become the only versions of the films now. Um, I, I can't, it's hard to remember what's extra now because I've, I've not watched the standard editions for, of any of it for for such a long time. No, I, I completely agree. I'm exactly the same. I can't remember what the difference is um, between the uh, extended and the, the, the theatrical releases are. I just know that uh, I don't there's anyone way to watch them properly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, same thing with the Hobbit films because they dramatically change it, particularly um, Battle of Five Armies, which yes. is practically unwatchable otherwise. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? And we talk again. We talk, we had a, we done a show when we reviewed these, haven't we? I pretty much, and I don't I don't want to rehash it, but it's um, it's the film it should have been, um, and it makes sense as an extended edition. Um, whereas Unexpected Journey is absolutely fine and perfect as a, as a sort of theatrical whereas yeah it didn't really work the other one and that was well if you watch the extras and you, and you dig in and delve into the to what was really going on at the time it was a very different place to when they were finishing off the lord of the rings trilogy they was really up against it for the whole of the filming weren't they things were changing all the time and they were just just it was really really close to the mark whether they deliver the film on time and they couldn't get all the effect shots they wanted done, so those lot got cut from the film, and then the length of it as well. So it wasn't plain sailing, and I'm I'm pretty sure that um, Peter Jackson didn't deliver the um, the the Hobbit trilogy the same way as he wanted would wanted it to. It wasn't designed all design and perfect delivered, whereas it feels like the Lord of the Rings trilogy was 
was his plan from the beginning seen through the best of his ability at the time whereas uh, the Hobbit trilogy wasn't quite and it makes you wonder whether what they would have been if he was the director from the start and had all that time to do all the pre-planning yeah. and not have to inherit some things and and then the things needed to change actually just it's just short of time for all the way through wasn't they and um it would have, would have yeah, made like it very there different. was dark rumours of a lot of um, uh, studio execs making life difficult and stuff like that. So mm. uh, yeah, it definitely. Yeah, was. I think they 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 obviously the the oft criticised uh, Tauri or uh, Keeley romance, etc. Yeah, um, there's a lot of talk that that was obviously uh, driven primarily from. Uh, a studio point of view. I don't. I don't mind it. In fact, there was quite a lengthy uh, chat in the Battle Streams of Middle Earth Patreon uh, chat on the you know, on Facebook Messenger to do with stuff like that. And it actually does echo in some respects in terms of the uh, intensity and speed of them falling in love. Eowyn <laughs> uh, and um, Faramir from the books. Yeah, which he addresses in a letter. Funnily enough, uh, old Tolkien. But uh, yeah, the. Um, it's all the interspecies love, uh, less so uh, dealt with in uh, Tolkien's canon. But you know, I'll let it go. I'm fine with it. Still yeah. good, still good movies. It's, it, I'm one of the, the the side that would probably have been happy for it not to be there, but I'm not offended by it. And I definitely don't have a problem with it for interspecies for any of the other reasons. Are I just felt it wasn't needed for the story. Um, that was my reasoning for it. I think it. I would have liked to have seen. If you need a love interest, I'd have quite liked to have seen it. The the because there's a bit of a love triangle there with Legolas. I would have preferred the love triangle to being between, well, not so much a triangle, but the the reason that uh, that Tariel and Legolas couldn't be together. So I wouldn't have removed her from the film. But I think the love interest should have been Legolas, and I think it should have been Thranduil is the 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 block to that because that was hinted at, wasn't it? Um, that there may be some affection between them, but that all just sort of dissipated with um, with Keeley's introduction, and I would have preferred to seen it. I think it makes more, it would have seemed more logical, and it wouldn't have felt like it was crowbarred in um, because you're dealing with a with a Rings character, really. So you're, there was so much of the the kind of the bridge to Lord of the Rings and that, that and what you want to call backstory for the for the for the Fellowship, and you could almost regard that as a bit of extra filler and fellow um and background for to, to Legolas's story. And I don't know if it would have been quite as badly received. People would have accepted maybe that you need to have a love interest the same way it was Arwen was um used a lot more in the in the fellowship in the in the original trilogy compared to in the books. Um and that's why she replaced Glorfindel. Why she was nearly at um, Helm's Deep as we were as I mentioned earlier. If you haven't seen that before, Dan, Google it. If you just Google I'll give it a look. Google yeah. Arwen at Helm's Deep because there's so many different images out there. You'll see lots of still images from when they were filming. Um I think it was her that maybe arrived with the relief force and um not Haldir originally. I can't remember now. I've seen it since too many. Well, I have to admit, I'm glad that one didn't make it. Yeah, there, yeah, I it think makes she sense. got a little bit too much airtime as it was. I'd have obviously Glorfindel. Well, you'd have, you'd have ended up with more of a Tariel-esque kind of elven character, um, but they removed all of that fighting side from her. You don't really see her fight at all, do you? You see the way she's added into the the film is as is through dreams, isn't she? and through memories mm. and it's a really much nicer more subtle way of doing it whereas you actually see the what happens when you add a love interest 
um, in, a, in a more kind of forthright way. It looks a little bit more crude and crass, or some people would say that with the way Tarot is introduced with, as Keeley's love interest. That's why, as I said, I think exploring her relationship with Legolas would have would have still had a love interest there and would have uh, would have been would have been cool. But I don't. I say all of that. I don't really care that much. Um, but if I've been asked to have an opinion on it, that's what I'd say. But again, we've, we've gone down that big tangent, and that's not what we're supposed to be talking talking about today. Reviewing those films. Um, but anyway, the extra. There's more extras again. I really enjoyed watching those um, almost as much as the the Lord of the Rings ones. I'm sure you've watched the all the extras that are on the Hobbit films as well, and it's slightly different style because. Of, the the dwarves are quite funny and um there's a lot more kind of cg stuff they talk about so there's a little bit less kind of art department kind of stuff but still a really really good set of um extras and behind the scenes things absolutely absolutely cool so then we get back to the game i suppose um did you so you were leaving around you say or left just before i had already left g-dub before that and uh i took a little bit of a break from the hobby in general apart from reading black library books mm-hmm. for a couple of years which covered a lot of this early period um i remember them releasing smaug uh just about yeah and then as basically from what i've of you know the community is Posted about on numerous occasions, and definitely what Damien has, has spoken about. The, the the hobby, as in the, the Middle Earth hobby, dropped off a cliff mm. for a few years. It disappeared, and everyone thought it was gone for good. And that's why Chris Murphy has what appears to be controlling shares in uh, <laughs> uh, in, in in GW's um, uh, backlog department because <laughs> he bought pretty much everything, as far as I can work out. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I, again, a lot of it passed me by, and they released the new edition. hadn't even known they'd done it. I was so far down the heresy hole by that point. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until you kind of uh, got into it and worked your malign magic on, on, on me that I really picked it back up again. Yes, yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I knew it was released. I remember, I don't know, I think I was playing fantasy at the time. I really do. I can't remember. I might even be playing War Machine at the time. I'm not moving away from GW. There was, was definitely gaming at the time. Um, but I remember whatever it was, even though I was going to those films and absolutely loving them, but whatever that, that residual thing that just stopped me, and it's like I said, it's bizarre, stopped me playing the game. I didn't didn't go by. Maybe just because I didn't know enough people that were playing it as well. And right now, it wouldn't stop me. And that now, I will buy any game if I want want to play it, and I'll. You know, even if I means collecting two sides and, and and trying to get other people interested in it, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, but maybe at the time that was a bit more of a kind of a, a focus for me was making sure there were other people playing the game. And I don't think at the clubs I was playing at the time, I don't can't remember anyone really playing it. Um, and I, I'm sure people were, but I wasn't. You know, maybe we're not in the groups within groups, if that makes sense, of the people that I was playing games with. Um, but yeah, I can remember it coming out. I can remember looking at it and thinking it looks good, but just. I can't remember ever thinking, am I going to buy it or not? And I definitely didn't at the time. Um, I haven't bought it all since. But um, looking, <laughs> just flicking through that White Dwarf, and and um, and then you've got your Battle of Five Armies release from two thousand and five. I can remember I was aware of that as well, and I wasn't gaming at that point. I'm sure, yeah, you know, I definitely wasn't gaming at that point. But it wasn't too far off before I got back into gaming. But I remember that release coming out and wanting to buy it so this is the kind of based on warmaster um 10 mil game 
um, which um, I may have may have recently acquired some um, more to, more to be talked about on a, on a later <laughs> show or something. But um, but um, I remember it. I do remember it being out. I can't remember. I seem to remember seeing a white dwarf, but I can't remember buying white dwarf back then. It's hard to remember. So two thousand. The only thing I can remember two thousand and five is uh, is. Um, some re some new hope and if I think of two thousand and five, I think of certain music and I think of England winning the ashes for the first time in a very, very long time. Not that we're gonna do that again for a long time, but um it's uh, but I remember that game. I can remember that being advertised and, and thinking, Oh, I really like that, but again, it was probably that well, I'm not really gaming, what am I gonna do with it? Um I don't think it was expensive, but it still felt like well, that's not really a purchase that's sensible to make, so to speak. Uh, but I remember looking at it and thinking, that's amazing. I, I love it. I want to buy it, but definitely didn't. Um, and then like you, it was <clears throat> just slightly before you, but it was the long, long, probably just watching Damien and Tom and GBHL videos for years um, and um, probably drift, starting to drift a little bit from heresy <clears throat> and, and thinking about maybe having a, a second game to play and, and thinking, well, why? Just that questioning of why aren't I playing this game? This is my favourite universe ever. Um, it's the first fantasy books my mum ever read to me. I've got such, such an been so important in my life for seeing what seems like forever and um why not, why am i playing it and there's this new and shiny edition came around probably just around that same time i was questioning in it I, I was listening to the green dragon podcast as well that's something I, was, I listened to probably not every show at the time but i used to listen to that and i was listening to a lot of podcasts so listening to them um listening to um, watching those youtube channels and i just thought this is silly just just this is a new edition now. it looks really cool buy it give it a go and that was one of them it snowballed from there and we here we are now in episode 37 of the podcast about it but um and um and long may it continue um so i think we've probably done it to death there haven't we um <laughs> we've talked about 45 minutes sort of just rambling on about our own sort of middle earth experience since those films came out but um we've got a lot more to look forward to um We've got uh, we've got whatever Amazon do. Um, Middle Earth team seem to be going strong and doing very well. We know there's new releases coming out, so it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And uh, yeah, got the uh, Rohan animation as well. That's coming. Oh, I keep forgetting about that. So that'll be that'll be really interesting as well. So I feel in a very good place with it. I've um, I don't have that fear too much that I did with the Hobbit trilogy where they'd mess things up. Jackson's um, vision is safe for me, and for me is the ultimate vision. Um, that's that's other than the original book of course um and um i'm happy with whatever comes afterwards and if it's awful then i just won't watch it and it, it won't i don't think anything would spoil that i don't think i'd want as much as it'd be cool i don't think i'd want anyone to remake the the what jackson's done yet i'm not ready for that ready for, for for someone else to come along it might even be better but i can't imagine how it would be so that would that would make me nervous um but if, if people don't do that, if we don't see a even a serialized TV version of it, I wouldn't really wouldn't want that either. Um, I, I want the, I want that left alone for a while. Yeah, in the future I'll have to because it'll come, it'll it'll age and someone else will come along and do it um, and maybe do it better. But I'm um, I'm happy enough to see what my Amazon do. Look forward to seeing what they do and hopefully it retains some. It feels like Middle Earth in an earlier age. Any final thoughts from yourself? No, I'm just going to like. Obviously, we've we've had 20 years. Uh, hopefully, be many more years to come. It appears to be in uh, 
good hands uh, the game as well uh, Jay and, and Dan and uh, the the rest of the team that sort of support them Rob and uh, yeah well, up to up to recently it's been Sophie in 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 the background beavering away making sure we've all got lots of lovely miniatures to uh, to look at <laughs> and to to enjoy um so you know they're doing really well and there appears to be lots more on the horizon there's some uh, great people in the community obviously you've got uh, battle streams etc um Putting out some uh, great stuff, uh, paints on a floor up, uh, cameras doing some great things, and yeah, there's um, loads of really good people in the community contributing and running events, and obviously it's been very uh, involved uh, with uh, the, the actual team who are putting the stuff together for us. They're very community focused. They engage a lot, which is fantastic, and they've given us lots of new cool things to look at. Loads of really beautiful new models. Everything's been stunning. Of late, no matter how much people will have a whinge, everything I've seen recently has been just phenomenal. So yeah, more to come. Absolutely, and and the wider Tolkien world was awakened, wasn't it, in two thousand and one? And and it, yes, and, and, and as we now have a a internet digital age, where there's um, the, the whole kind of Tolkien esque um, fandom is. You can find it for anything you want, really. There's multiple different editions of, of role-playing games. I think someone else is bringing out a new edition of, of Lord of the Rings role-play soon as well. There's just so much out there for whatever flavour of Middle-earth that you want. You can you can find something that suits what you what you like. So even if it's not Toy Soldiers, and you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if it's not, but um, even if it's not Toy Soldiers, that you can find something, I'm sure, whether it's a board game, whether it's um, Fantasy Flight's kind of... Um, semi-play-by-yourself board games. It's just everything under the sun. It's such a huge thing. Um, it's up there with Star Wars and, and Harry Potter, isn't it? And for these these massive fandoms out there. So and I don't see that going away even anytime soon. So um, long may it live on and hopefully my kids get to experience it and enjoy and get as much joy from it as I have from my life. And hopefully when they're in their 40s, they're sitting doing, um, if it won't be a podcast then, what will it be? Some automatic brain download to uh, of stream of thoughts from one person to another or something weird god like i hope we're not doing that by then would <laughs> <laughs> be would be would be interesting um anyway so let's go and take a break and when we come back we will be with the council of elrond and we'll be playing our first two scenarios from the fall of the necromancer the hour grows late and bland of grey plastic comes seeking my council you are sure of this Blandalf? Yes, the event is fully painted. It was in the event pack, under my nose the whole time. Yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love for the Facebook group has slowed your mind. We must join him, Blandalf. The commission painter. We must be fully painted. When did Surly Man the White give in to madness? But I am now Surly Man of many colours. Miniature Realm Studio is a commission painting service. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter or contact us directly at miniaturerealmstudio at gmail.com You have elected the way of paint! Welcome to the Council of Elrond after that little break there. So today we're going to be talking about two scenarios from the latest 
book from Games Workshop from the Middle Earth team, Fall of the Necromancer. So Dan and I um, got together over the interwebs um, a few days ago now as we were recording this. It was last week, wasn't it, as we were recording this? It was indeed. And we played through two of the smaller scenarios, the ones that we talked about when we reviewed the books. We played through Flight to the East and the Exploration of Dol Guldur. And the reason we did those is because we needed very, very few miniatures, so that works very, very well. Um, I, I will say straight ahead now, I, I play Gandalf, so I'm only controlling one miniature in each of those games as well, so it's quite easy for Dan to point the camera at the table and for me to say, yeah, move this person here, move that person there, and it work, works quite well. So Dan hosted the games this time rather than me. Now he's got his table set up, we were able to do that. Um, and yeah, we, we played through them both in a fairly short time, as, as we'll come to as we discuss how the games went and things. But um, it was good fun to do some a little bit of gaming, even if it was remotely again. Right then, yes. so so let's let's start with with flight to the east. Then I'll I'll give it its little kind of intro, um, ramble and and talk through the scenario, and then we'll just discuss how our game went and our and our thoughts on it. Um, so what I won't do is read the full narrative um, fluff at the beginning. We'll 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 kind of surmise that really, but it's basically Gandalf is um, searching for evidence of um, Sauron or the necromancer within the ruins um, of Dol Guldur. So that's essentially what it is. Um, so let's take you through the scenario. Um, so we have the layout. It's a four by four board and we both, in our head, we thought this was a two by two until we sat down to, to set it up. Didn't we? Well, you sat down to set it up. Well, yeah, that was a frantic five minutes. <laughs> You're like, oh, need a bigger table. Need some more terrain. Um, so it's a four by four board. Um, and then you're, um, you've got to make it look ideally like um, the Fortress of Dolgaldor, so lots and lots of ruins and walls and things. Now, Dan doesn't have that, but we used lots of woods and trees and things like that as well. So it, in terms of playing the game, it just didn't matter too, too much. Um, but um, yeah, we, Mostly we, line of sight blocking stuff, really. That's exactly, the important thing. Exactly. You could, well, you could use As we will come to. Yes, 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 absolutely. So maybe maybe trees wouldn't... We'll, we'll come to that later. And um, then this is the starting positions. So the evil player deploys six 40mm bases anywhere touching the western board edge. These represent the places a necromancer could be. Um, I think it says, see the shadow of the necromancer. Special rule that follows. Um, they deploy... Then they deploy Castellans of Dorgaldur anywhere within 12 inches of the western board edge. The good player deploys... Gandalf within six inches of the centre of the eastern board edge. So they're sort of heading each other off on different sides of the board. The objectives, Gandalf is trying to discover the truth about who or what is casting a shadow over Mirkwood. Sauron cannot risk being discovered, so he is trying to evade Gandalf and escape to the east. The game lasts until one side completes their objective. The good side wins if the necromancer has been revealed and Gandalf escapes the board edge via any, sorry, the board via any board edge. The evil player wins if the necromancer has not been revealed when he escapes the board via the eastern board edge. Any other result is a draw. And then the special rules. So the shadow of the necromancer. The necromancer cannot risk Gandalf learning of his identity, so must remain hidden if he is to escape. The necromancer is not deployed at the start of the game. Instead, six 40mm bases are deployed touching the western board edge, each representing a place where the necromancer could be. One of these bases is the necromancer, and the evil player should note down which one is Sauron. Each by marking one underneath or by numbering all the bases and making a note of which base is the necromancer. 
These move in the same way as a necromancer, and the evil player will win if the base representing the necromancer escapes the board via the eastern board edge. Then revealing the necromancer. Though he is hidden, the necromancer still risks his identity being uncovered by the great wizard. If at the end of any good move phase, Gandalf's with Gandalf, excuse me, is within six inches of a forty millimeter base. He can draw an unobscured line of sight to all parts of that base. Then the evil player must reveal if the base is a decoy or, in fact, the necromancer himself. Additionally, if the necromancer casts any magical powers, then he will automatically will be revealed. The cost of deception: sustaining his disguise is a draining process one that takes a toll upon the Dark Lord. The necromancer loses a point of will at the end of each move phase in which he's not being revealed. The Grey Pilgrim, Gandalf, is a formidable warrior and prepared himself for any threat that may lurk within the fortress of Dol Guldor. Gandalf has two attacks in this scenario. And then the participants are Gandalf, and then for the evil side, the necromancer, who's, who is one of those six um, um, counters, bases, 40 mil, and four Castellans of Dol Guldur. Right then, so, um, how did it go? Should we, should we run through the game first and then we give our, give our thoughts afterwards? Yeah. Um, so, um, Gandalf, I deployed pretty much central um, and you, you deployed your, um, your bases as a, as a fairly even spread, just like they are on the map. Exactly even spread, in fact. Yep. Completely, and um, same thing with the uh, Castellans, pretty much. Yes. The 12 inches on and literally equally spaced along that 12 inch line from the uh, western border yeah you were you were trying to make sure that it was you know really really even across there and uh, and, and and as the good player i just thought well, it could be any of them it is, it, it, i'm either going to if i go up one side and I'm, I'm making a huge guess so i'll stick in the middle and, and see what happens maybe after the first couple of turns um, and then, I mean, as the good player, you go first in the narrative scenario, which you don't really want to do because there's nothing. I just didn't move, did I? I said, right, I'm just standing still <laughs> because again, yeah. until you've moved, there's not even an inkling of of, of where you might be going. Um, and the four by four board is huge for for one model uh, on foot to kind of um, <laughs> block. It's like having like it's like a game of um, blood bowl or something when you've got one player against six or something and you and they're all all might have the ball trying to get a touchdown you just don't know where to where to move your player so I kind of left him in the middle and, and, and let you kind of move forward so I dithered a little bit and then I decided well all I can do is head towards one side a little bit and make a guess um, and didn't really really do that but you you split your blips up didn't you really we call them blips you split your counters up so four on the top and two on the bottom um they sort of went round to the corners um mm. yeah you know figuratively sort of slowly sort of got together and, and moved towards the corners um and by that time your um castellans had kind of come through the center to try and um kind of get in the way of gandalf getting towards any any of the blips um and gandalf kind of spent his time dealing with them which is obviously what they're there to do um i think in turn two he was in range to cast sorceress blast and failed and then in turns three and four he used command didn't he and um and managed to get the your Castellans to charge each other. Um, I think on turn three, one killed the other, but turn four, they, did, they didn't hurt each other. Um, and then you were off the board. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be, to be fair, I um, I put the Necromancer in, in the middle. 
to do to do it fairly. Um, we tried to play as narratively as possible to make more of a game for mm. each other. Um, yeah, you started you in know, the middle, didn't you? But you obviously you, you split you as you if, are if, very natural. You you're not going to run straight for Gandalf because as soon as he's in six inches, he's going to reveal you, um, and then you've got to kill him. Um, so you did the right thing by splitting yours into two little groups of blips, so to speak. Um, but all you can do but is... Not on the, the extreme end, though. It makes it a game of 50-50, pretty much. Yeah, and that's all you can do then as the, as the good player is get one side and then you've still got the Castellans to deal with. And even if you, you get the right side, you're, you've still got a fair bit of board to cover. Um, and yeah, I didn't really get to you before you got off I think one more turn if I'd moved if I'd made a decision about going top or bottom of the table one turn earlier I um, may have got to see one of the blips but it wouldn't have been the one that's that, that was it because you were shielding it naturally with the others so I don't know um, we only played it the ones didn't we and it was over quite quickly and um, I think we both felt that it didn't quite work um, and we kept rereading it and thinking have we missed something um, so we just felt the table was too big. Well, I felt the table was too big. I think we both. Yeah, well, I think it. we both agreed it was a little excessive. Um, if it allows you to get too far around the sides, and it makes it a little bit like a potluck for the for the good player. I mean, I suppose it lends itself perfectly well to the narrative what is trying to achieve because yeah. obviously what actually happened was the necromancer did escape, exactly. and Gandalf couldn't really pin. He had a feeling, but he couldn't pin down exactly what it was. It wasn't obviously until much later that it was yeah. uh, confirmed to be him. And that may be what it's designed to do. Um, my my comment on that would be, that's right. And I want I kind of like the narrative to follow the film, but you want a little bit more chance for it to not. Or at least I didn't feel at any point like it was... It, it's one of those games you thought, well, this isn't going to work. So it wasn't particularly enjoyable. If I'm honest with you, out of all of the narrative scenarios that we've played for, um, and reviewed for the for the podcast, I probably enjoyed that the least. Um, and I know it could go very differently. It's nothing to do with not being able to win, but it just didn't feel like I was in the game, um, so to speak. Um, and as soon as you split your group, which is the natural thing to do, because nothing. What else are you going to do? Your job is to try and get it off the board edge, unless you deliberately try and not get it off the board edge, which is then you're not playing the game either um as soon as you try to get them off the board edge then you uh i don't know there's nothing you can do is there is you 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 guess and guess guess lucky um i think there's some things that could be done so if you one way of doing it would be to randomize it so you don't know which one it is um yes that might help uh so a bit like you roll when you get to the end, so you're discovering it, or you just say you um you you mark it down, or or you've got six, you know you've got six number one to six, um you turn them all down, so I don't know which numbers they are, and I choose a number one to six, um or you randomly pick it or something or other. There's, there's some way of doing that, that would be good because you might not place them all together, then you might keep them separate, and if you keep them as sort of separate things running across the table there's more chance and let's let's face it there's there's still a chance for the evil player to win even if he is spotted isn't there because you can kill gandalf and um and still escape or just so i suppose it becomes a draw then but even then it feels like a game um it just feels like it was it just needed a little tweak um so one way would be that you don't know which of the blips it is um the other what i my preference would be just make it a smaller board make it a two by two um have two castellans have three blips and gandalf 
and um, and then make it lots and lots and lots of terrain. And that's one thing we could have had, well, we, we physically couldn't have, but one thing we could have done more, if that makes sense, to make it a better game is to have more of the right kind of terrain and not make it such an easy... There were so, you know, so many paths that you could have taken to the, the board edge. You really need to, to absolutely jam it so that you can't do a straight run so that that 48 inches isn't 48 inches. So you have to travel at least maybe another two foot Um to get round everything and over everything, which gives Gandalf a bit of a chance to kind of get and see you, but it's just too quick, wasn't it? If you, if you just yeah, especially the losing your points of wheels not really that worrying when when you've got you want to avoid it anyway. And he's got twenty five to spend. He's got twenty. Yeah, twenty. That that means just the cost of deception rule. Well, yeah, it's only useful if the game's gone on for a long time and he's not been able to get off the board and he's. Hot. Get that, and that's the way I kind of envisaged it. Really envisaged it, reading it. And you think, oh, it's, it could go on for a long time, and you're stuck in the back. But if you just kind of everything runs forward, which is a natural thing to do. Um, I don't know. That's why. That's why I think just reducing it down because the the essence is right and it's all there. But um, we've probably missed something. I still keep thinking we must have missed something because they're not. They don't normally miss in that way. If that makes sense, the scenarios they're usually really good. But I just feel like it didn't feel quite right um i wouldn't and maybe one day when we're um we're testing another one out we've got a spare 20 minutes we'll just re-rack and try on a two by two with the way we said and see if it makes any difference i've got a feeling there's a fun game in there where you're trying to sneak around and stay out of line of sight and and, and get off the board but it's not that at all is it that's the narrative of it he's supposed to be sneaking out and uh and the, the castellans are supposed to be there trying to sort of attack gandalf but what it actually feels like is You've got um, four blockers, which are your Castellans, and um, six um, wide receivers <laughs> all running <laughs> full full pelt past Gandalf, who's there. Going, what? what, what? Um, but anyway, not the end of the world. Easily tweaked and thinking to make a better game. But as part of a as part of the whole narrative campaign, it's you know you'll skip past it quite quickly, and it and it does what it's supposed to do, probably, which is Gandalf's not supposed to find out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it, by the end of it, it came out narratively correct. Yes. Um, I just don't think it was necessarily the most satisfying game we've ever played. But no, I suppose you can't win them all, can you? Not at all. I mean, if other people have played it and think we've missed something, let us know. Because um, I keep reading it and thinking we must have missed something. We've but... racked our brains and we just can't think we've, you know, it's not as obvious as uh, Hobbits getting knocked over. It was, you know, yeah. we've... Um, We've given it a really good look, and so far, but unable to work out what we've missed. Yep. Sometimes maybe it just doesn't work out, and that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, it's, it's as I said, fixable. It's not, it's not the end of the world, and we we deliberately picked a couple of the kind of smaller ones because they're easier to play remotely, and we've only played it the once. Um, you know, we could have played it three or four times and really tested it out, and it might have been very different things. I just can't see if both players are trying to to win. Um, and I think even in a narrative game, you should be trying to, to complete your objective. Um, uh, it's not even trying to win, is it? Trying to complete your objective. Um, then, then yeah, you do, you've got to throw it, haven't you? The evil player's got to throw it. You've got to say, well, I'm going to walk the necromancer up the middle and then try and block him, block line of sight to him and hide him behind terrain while the, the uh, Castellans do the job and then... Maybe yeah, even I mean, that we'll would look you around the combat. That would be the end of that. Yeah, maybe, maybe even. Yeah, I, that's why I think the two by two, three, three blips for the necromancer, and and even even if you still have four castellans, to be honest with you, 
Um, maybe it's be too many. They're quite tough, aren't they? And that's the other thing we worked out, that if you end up getting them all into Gandalf anyway, they're going to win. Um, the same fight value, aren't they? They were higher yeah. defence, and uh, yeah, you can give Gandalf his extra attack, but yes, he's got yes, he's got might, I suppose. Um, but still, it's going to be you need you want to be you want to be casting spells with him, don't you? As I and I think I was doing that right. You want to be using command and things like that to get the constellas to take each other out. That all makes sense. That bit seems to work. But again, as I said, it was just by the time you've dealt with them a little bit or dealt with a couple of them, that's it, the blips were off the board and it was, what, five turns, was it? Gone? Was it the fifth turn? Fifth or sixth, I think we managed yeah. to get off. And the yeah. first turn was a nothing because it was a, well, I'm not moving because... <laughs> because yeah, you're from... And then you just ran forward. Um, so that was turn one done. And so it's, yeah, it's... it's a... Anyway, anyway, shall we talk about the next one? Yeah, so the second one we played of the evening is Exploration of Dog Order. Uh, having repelled the spiders that invaded his homestead, Radagast begins to wonder where such foul creatures have come from. Learning that they have been spawning in the areas around the old fortress of Dog Order, he sets out to investigate its ruins for the source of the dark magic that has set the creatures loose. So, uh, this one is played on a 2x2, two two, which is what we thought both of them were played on. Um, the layout of the board represents the old fortress of Dogodur. It should be scattered with broken walls, crumbling stairways, and piles of rubble, creating a varied battlefield. In the centre of the southern board edge is the entrance to Dogodur. On the board, there should be six statues placed as shown on the map. This is largely in the top half of the uh, the gaming board, and we worked it out basically if using that spacing, they're six inches apart, um, roughly um, three wide and sort of two deep, almost like a six uh, on a. Um, a domino piece or something and uh yeah um these are the possible locations of the evidence that radagast is searching for and should be numbered from one to six so we did that laid them out in exactly the same fashion as uh shown in the map um unfortunately i don't have dog or do ruins yet um so we were using what i had from my terrain collection just line of sight blocking stuff um things to make you move around a bit the starting position is the good player deploys radagast in base contact with the entrance to dog or do the evil player does not deploy the Witch King. Initially, he will appear as the game progresses. The good player automatically has priority each turn until the Witch King is revealed. So, objectives. Radagast must try to locate substanti- substantive evidence that something evil dwells within Dolgordur, retrieve it, and then escape from the fortress. The game continues until one player has completed their objective. The good player wins if Radagast can find the evidence and then escape the board edge via the entrance of Dolgordur. The evil player wins if Radagast is slain. So, investigating statues, special rules. If Radagast ends his movement in base contact with a statue, he may investigate it. Roll a d6. On a 1 to 5, it's just a statue and nothing happens. On a 6, Radagast locates the evidence he needs. This is a light object. Each statue can only be investigated once. The Witch King. At the start of the game, the evil player secretly rolls a d6 and notes the result down, making sure the good player cannot see it. This is the statue that the Witch King is hidden within. If Radagast attempts to investigate the statue that the Witch King is in, the evil player immediately places the Witch King in base contact with Radagast. From this point on, Radagast no longer needs to locate the evidence. The ghostly creature in front of him is proof enough. Instead, if Radagast slays the Witch King, he immediately gains possession of the evidence. If Radagast uncovers the evidence before the Witch King is revealed, the evil player may place the Witch King anywhere on the board within three inches of the statue he was hiding inside, but at least one inch away from Radagast. The Witch King may then move as normal. In this scenario, the Witch King does not benefit from his unholy resurrection special rule. Instead, if the Witch King is slain, the evil player must immediately place the Witch King in base contact with any statue in at least one inch from Radagast. Any little might previously spent remains spent. 
the will of the Necromancer. Radagast suffers a minus one penalty on making a casting roll. Additionally, the Witch King of Angmar gains a resistance to magic special rule. The participants for the good is Radagast the Brown with Sebastian, and evil is the Witch King of Angmar, Nazgul of Dol Gordur. So, um, yes, we, we obviously played that secondly. Um, if anything, it was over even faster than the other. Um, <laughs> if I remember uh, rightly, you pelted it up to two. Yeah. Uh, which is the investigated it, found almost. nothing. Yep. Yep. And then immediately moved across to one, which was where my Witch King was hiding. Yep. Uh, who popped out, uh, attempted to combat you. Um, I did win the combat, but um, was unable to slay you because uh, you spent two points of uh, fate and made the second save. Yep. Uh, the following turn, we uh, you used um, Nature's Wrath and knocked over my Witch King and then ran away and successfully left the middle <laughs> Yes, That was pretty much it, that which, was... again, works thematically really yes. well. In fact, it marries up incredibly well to the, uh, to the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, again, another quick one, but I didn't feel it was quite as... Um, I didn't think there was any problems in the design. Lackluster as the, yeah, the, the previous... I don't think there was any issues. I just think it was one of those that randomly the, the Witch King ended up on the uh, the counter right next to the, the, the you know, the, well, it's one of the two closest ones, wasn't it? And I nearly went for yes. it first as well. So it could have been even quicker potentially. Um, and, and it, you know, if it ended up in one of the counters that's a bit further away, then uh, one of the statues is a bit further away, then it, it could have been harder it's, it's it's a bit random that side of it so you could play that in a few different ways and get some slightly different results but again it's supposed to be really quick that one um i think it's i think yeah that, we haven't played any of the juicier uh scenarios from it because of the nature of how we're playing at the moment particularly involving my model collection as well which isn't yeah well anywhere near well, as extensive us, as really because um i haven't got lots of murkwood elves and i don't have spiders and things so there's lots of gaps in my collection from from this book um, and then you know you've got some some of the evil stuff, the Dolgolor side, but you don't have the kind of the the, the, the I spider don't have side. Any of the hunters? Any of uh, you know? I don't have Azog. No, I have, but we yeah we can kind of we could probably get some of it together. But um, yeah, just because of the nature we're playing, uh, this scenario is absolutely fine. As I said, it's it's um, does what it's supposed to do. Um, it you could play it a few times, and it will work slightly different ways. It's not going to be one of the most amazing, exciting, replayable ones, but you could have some really tight games, I imagine, from it as well. The old, the old game will go away where it's kind of trying to run, run away and the necromancer keeps catching up, but he keeps, you know, not not wounding when he tries to kill and things like that. You could see it happening, it being a bit of a, a squeaky bum time, kind of uh, just get off the board, but um, it just happened to just everything went really quick there. Um, but I think that's what it's designed to do, and I feel if you're going to compare the two, and I think they've got some similarities this does what it needs to do to be that kind of scenario. And the other one should maybe have been a bit more like this. And I think, again, if you reduce the size of the table and the number of um, participants in, for the evil side, I think it would have produced a similar kind of thing. Um, maybe maybe even better, actually. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, I enjoyed it. It was fine. Absolutely fine. Um, and it, as part of the, if you were working your way through the whole thing, it would, um, it, it does, it tells a little narrative parts of the, 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 the films that we, we remember. So, and that's what it's designed to do as well. But it, it definitely doesn't have that kind of huge replayability as individual scenarios. But I'm not sure they're all designed to be like that. They're not all, um, you know, the, um, Asgol and Brie kind of things, which is just fun and you want to keep, keep replaying it. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, there's some other scenarios in in the set that which potentially could be having that sort of level of replayability, etc. Which hopefully at some point we will get around to playing. Sorry, so, I uh, just accidentally lent on an effects button there. <laughs> I don't know if that will. Uh, you probably didn't hear that, Dan. I've no, been, I did not. It's going off again. It's like the magical spell sound. Are you? Are you? Um, very. The way I'm leaning, I, I I decided to lean the 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 scenario book on the mixing desk, um. So we just had a spell sound, which has now made its way for a third time into the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. It was they. It was a, a good fun having a chat, playing the games. Um, we we don't we've not come away gushing the way we do after playing some of the scenarios. But um, apart from the, the first one, maybe needing a bit of a tweak. The second one, I think, does what it needs to. Yes, I, th- I think. Um, but no matter what, it's still nice to have the opportunity to uh, get together and even remotely and play some games. It's you know better than the poking the eye with a pooey stick. So I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> even for a scenario we've um, perhaps not been quite as enamoured by. Yeah, and we're going to do some more. Um, we're going to keep delving into the book. Um, we don't know when the, 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 the new book's going to be out, and we've talked about that earlier in the show, um, that from the uh, from the, the, the not thrown of skulls weekend and the seminar and the announcements around them. We still don't have a quite, well, as the time of recording this, we don't have a release date for the next one. I can't imagine it's going to be January based on this one just being released. It's going to be a little while yet, so... Um, we're going to keep on delving into the book. Um, I know we would like the idea of maybe trying out the Thrain, the Broken um, version. Yep, he's on my painting uh, handle as we speak. I just uh, we may have to proxy in some Uruk scouts or something for that one because I don't have any hunter orcs. Yeah, or we do it the other way around as well because I do have him. Um, I do have hunter orcs, so we can we can always swap that around the other way as well. So there's 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 two ways of it. It's it's easy enough, especially when we're when we're trying out things for the the podcast. It doesn't really matter to the listeners what we're using. We could use counters, couldn't we? Um, and, and do it all on a two D board in terms of reviewing the scenario. But it's more yes, for it's true. more for making it, I suppose, a bit more enjoyable for us as a as a gaming thing as well. And we're both um, narrative and hobbyists and painters side of the hobby more. So the thought of just trying out the scenarios for the sake of it with bits of paper doesn't quite doesn't quite work even though we're playing over the internet so i think we're going to try the the three and the broken one um and then we'll see really we did talk about capture the gray wizard but i don't know if it'll work again between us we've got the models but we're definitely going to do the big final one um and uh that'll be fun i'd like to play that in person but whether we can get together to do that in the new year I mean, in time to do it, I'm not sure. We'll, we, if we can, if there's a way of doing that, we we probably will. But if not, we'll uh, we'll work that out properly with a with a, with a top down. With I'll set it up here, maybe, and we'll, no, you'll need to because you've got the, the all the Nazgul I haven't got. We'll we'll work a way of doing it. Um, nice to get a couple of camera angles on there if possible, but we'll 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 work it out. But anyway, um, so a, a, sh- a shorter. Um, section there for um, the Council of Elrond, but that's you know after after a, a bigger a many meeting session that you've we've already um, <laughs> subjected you all to. So we'll take a quick break now, and we'll come back and close the showdown. <laughs> 
And here we are at the end of our Christmas special. Though we haven't talked about Christmas too much at all, um, we are we are we think we did this last time. We got all the, way, all the way to the end of our Christmas special, and then we realised we barely mentioned Christmas. Bar it's a December sode. December sode. <laughs> um, but anyway, we are here to close the show down, and I'm going to hand straight over to Dan, so you Dan can talk all about the competition. So, uh, last episode, I asked uh, a question to win a uh, a box of the new Witch King from GW. And the question was, what is the name of the place upon which Dol Guldur is built? Answers were to come to us by email by the 28th of November. And uh, a number of people did obviously enter. And we did a random draw on that here. Monday, the 29th of November was when I drew that. So, uh, without further ado, drum roll, please, Stu. And the winner is Dan Maskell. So uh, by all means, Dan, uh, get in touch with us. If you in touch with us within, say, a week of uh, being uploaded onto the servers and put out to the world, we'll get in touch with you. So, uh, yeah, please do get in touch with us. Lucky Dan Maskell. Fantastic stuff. So congratulations, Dan. Um, Dan uh, and Dan, this side, thanks for running that competition because I've done nothing. I've done absolutely nothing. Um, so thank you to... Well, we didn't actually uh, say what the actual correct answer was, come to think of it. No. Which is Amon Lank. Amon Lank it is. Um, we got a lot of, we got a quite of, I didn't count them up in the end, but I can remember in the emails going in and, and opening them up and flagging them and, and thinking, I don't think anyone got it wrong, did they? Uh, no, a few people get also sent us some really nice comments, so thank you very much for those as well. Yes, there was some. Yeah, there was a couple of really, really nice emails from people that we've not heard of before, actually, um, saying how much they like the podcast and stuff, which we don't normally like to read out and things. But yeah, thank you very much. We do really appreciate it. Um, so that that really does bring us to the end of the show now. So from from both of us thank you for everyone who has supported the, the show over the last year and has listened to us we hope you have an absolutely fantastic christmas and new year and hopefully 2022 is a little bit friendlier and, and happier for everyone than this last year but if not we will we'll we'll power through and we will have lots and lots of hobby content to, to take our minds off it so we we'll look forward to producing more podcasts for you next year thanks very much guys and we will catch you soon